Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 68 of Through the Years, the podcast that reviews Ring of Honor show by show from the beginning. My name is Trevor Dame, joined as always by Matt Feuerstein, but we are also joined by our special second time guest. We haven't had them on for three years, way too long. Friend of the show, you might know them from their many appearances on the Joe vs. the World podcast. You might know them from their own spinoff, The Justin Shapiro Show. You might know them from his many podcasts on the Alan 4L brand, currently the Pro Wrestling Torch, but previously the Dr. Keith Presents Show on the Observer site. You might know him from uh, uh, that stupid, horrible trivia show that uh, Joe Gagne does, the Five Star Match Game. Or you might even know him recently. I know, uh, Justin, you occasionally do appearances on the Elite Beat Podcast. You cover that newfangled AEW Great to have him back. Finally, way overdue, Justin Shapiro. Hi, my two great friends. It's, I'm thrilled to be here. Um, if I could push back on one thing, I don't think it's been too long since I've been on your show. I think it's been probably the perfect amount of time because I've not seen any Ring of Honor shows in between the three years <laughs> of broadcast time, uh, chronological time. But yeah, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled and, and honored. No pun intended. <laughs> That's from the show name. Um, but... I, I think the difference between now and, and March 2018 is like your show has built up a lot of goodwill and, and acclaim and to the point where now I fear me being on it could ruin it somehow. Yeah, everybody no. hated it back then. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like you've built up a, a respected listenership of people who maybe want to hear from guests who know about Ring of Honor's history and context. So yeah, Gabe Sapolsky See? is listening, Justin. <laughs> He's <laughs> going to be mad if you get any uh-huh. of the inf- any of the facts wrong. What a freaking rube! <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm I'm mostly here to learn. I'm here to observe, and I'm going to lay in the cut and basically just take it all in. Consider me. Uh, yeah, a front row seat to see two of the best do their thing. It's been it's been three the years since Justin has been on the show. Pun intended. I'm I'm expecting some big time puns here, Justin. That, that just so you know, when when you're when you're in when you're on the on the air, that's that's really what everyone's listening for. You better have some ready to go. Let's see. Through R O H two. If it was two years, T W O H. To the years was that good? Mm. <laughs> yeah, it was good. So, <laughs> so yeah, it was good. Um, so, um, Trevor, I, I have to, I have to make a complaint. So, two weeks ago when we recorded, it was a really freaking hot day in May. It was like ninety degrees, and then today it's a pretty darn hot day. And last weekend when we BHD. didn't record, it was like the coldest. Uh, Memorial Day weekend on record, and it was uh, would have been very comfortable to record. But instead, we're just choosing the re- the hottest Saturdays to record. And I, I guess it's not your fault at all, but I'm blaming you anyway. Well, here it was unseasonably hot for the entire week, except today. So uh, yeah, I've definitely done something just to uh, help me and hurt you. Definitely, uh, help me hurt you is uh, my favorite <laughs> Jerry Maguire quote. <laughs> oh, that's. Uh, I, I have a pair of gloves with those uh, written on them. Uh, <laughs> from, yeah, from the WWE shop. Uh, like I yeah, could, n- I could so never, I could never wear gloves outside today. It's too hot. <laughs> it is real hot, and I know we talked about air conditioner recording politics. And I think I beat the system. I am running the bedroom air conditioner and letting it flow into this room. So, 
it's the, truly the best of all worlds. Truly the smartest of us. Um, so yeah, as always, I just always do the little plug for the feeds, even though, as Matt pointed out a couple episodes ago, like you're plugging something that, uh, people are already clearly listening to, but I just, in the sense of, if you're listening on the pro wrestling only feed, but you, for some reason, just want a feed that is just us, because some people over the years have mentioned that, there we have a feed now that's just us. If you listen to a feed, the feed that's just us, and you want a feed that has a bunch of other good wrestling podcasts on it, a whole network, if you will, we have that. If you want to listen, that's the pro wrestling only feed. If you want YouTube, we are inexplicably still somehow on YouTube. Like one person listens, but they seem to listen a lot. Um, and feed that's me that more. Feed me more feeds. That's what I say. <laughs> more me feed. More me feed. <laughs> So, um, I guess the only, uh, news that between the last show and this show that is significant is, uh, we were, we've been covering every episode, you know, the saga of CM Punk getting, uh, the rumors. Is he going to go to WWE? Is he going to go somewhere else? Finally, between the last show and this one, the observer wrote CM Punk was expected to sign with WWE this week after his match on the IWA Mid South show on June 11th in Philadelphia. Ian Rotten cut a promo and teased the idea that Punk's final indie match before WWE joining WWE would be on June 18th, which of course would be Death Before Dishonor 3. And of course, that would not end up being his final match on the indies, but. We'll have a lot to talk about with all of that on the next show, but that brings us to the show we're covering today, which is... I'm sorry, may I interject? Oh, go, of course, guest? anytime. I, I brought two uh, funky fun facts to follow up on last week's or last show's business, if if you want me to. Oh, of course, of course. Okay. One is The, the, fun- the funkier, the better, Justin. Exactly. These are... <laughs> Some funky funkables. I fished out the June 13, 2005 Observer, if you want clarity on what that number was. Oh, thank... Oh, Justin, yes. That finally, for those who haven't listened to the last episode, uh, Punk, they actually gave a very... This was back when, for some reason, the Observer was ve- would be very specific. Sometimes, like, this This is what this guy is asking for on the Indies or something. And Dave <laughs> never does that these days. But back, like, 20 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, he would do that fairly often, like that, like, this is just exactly how much Terry Funk wants if you want to book him. And apparently, like, CM Punk was telling people, like, this is how much I would go to uh, NXT, or I guess back then it was FCW, or Ohio Valley for, and the Observer was completely all blacked out on that section. At least Redacted. the copy that's that, that, at least the copy that is all over the internet. But Justin yes. is the real one. He, uh, he oh. actually has the real <laughs> stuff. He, he paid the, the price and the dollars. Theoretically, Matt should have. Like, why didn't he help you? <laughs> I I don't have any of my old observers anywhere. Like, you know, like I, it's in, they're in my parents' house, which I haven't been to in a long time. And I honestly assume that my mother threw them all out. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Yeah. Um, and they, and I never had them organized in the first place. So yeah, mint condition in those plastic things that mm-hmm. keep them perfect. Oh my gosh! <laughs> no, nope. what a nightmare. Um, mine have been sitting in a closet undisturbed for a good long while, but I got lucky and in one pool of the pile ended up in the 2005. So from there, it was just a few flickers. Do you want to recount your, your guesstimates from before? Cause this really is the moment of truth. Uh, wasn't it? I think we kind of predicted 40,000 based on like the math of what we were told privately. He actually got was like almost 40,000. And, uh, it kind of looked like that would be the number on the newsletter just from the tiny bit I could make out. Yeah, I mean, certainly three of those numbers that you guessed were correct. 
Um, should we build it up even more, or should you just want me to say it? <laughs> we could do over and under. <laughs> Justin, why don't you save it for the very last uh, the, the sign off moment on the show? Okay. <laughs> no, me, no, let me kidding. put this observer back in its plastic uh, protector until it's ready. Oh my god, just the, the, the oxygenated air around it has already started degrading the issue. You know what's going on? And I'm Punk. One person close to him figured. Dollar sign seventy five thousand dollar downside would be the magic number. As any less he'd probably turn down, but more he'd probably go. Wow, that is way higher than I thought. And like from again, from what I was told privately by somebody, it was like a little. It was I think it was around like forty thousand dollars. So, huh? I guess it wasn't the magic number. And we know it completely did not pay off for him. <laughs> He he uh, he he did not make seventy five thousand dollars in his entire time there. That's that's a joke. It's extremely he, unlikely. He made so a, a lot more than that. talking just briefly about the observer subscriptions. Have either of you guys ever had this? Like when I was younger, I had a, a, a hard copy, a paper copy subscription of the Observer for a couple of years, and obviously you're getting like one, occasionally two letters a week. And I remember I eventually I, I don't know where they are now, but I just had like a box in my closet full of letters. And there was one time I had this very morbid thought with like. If I died right now, like what if like my mom was cleaning out my closet and being like, "Oh, Trevor had a lot of love letters," and then they're all just wrestling <laughs> letters like this. That would have been like the saddest moment. Like, imagine how many people in their closets just have like boxes and boxes of letters from Campbell, California, and it's wow. just like, well, well. So, so that means you were more private because I was like, when when I got the Observer at my parents' house, I was like, "Mom, did my Observer come yet?" <laughs> That, yeah, that I also was, had to be up front about it. Yeah. That was my early Japanese wrestling taste. I'd be like, Mom, it's very hot outside. I don't want the VHS tape to melt. So you got to check the mail right at 1 p.m. You know that's when the mailman comes home. I might not be home till 7. You got to do it. Don't make me phone. So I was a very <laughs> cool teenager, obviously. Very, very, very cool. Well, you will not die. You have staying <laughs> power. Is that, is that reassuring? <laughs> so, um... <laughs> Yeah, Something the only like, other thing I wanted to... Oh, oh go it's on. still about Observer, but um, you were wondering about Jamie Noble's WWE termination. Yes. And you said, people listening are probably screaming at their listening device saying, I know, I know, call on me, teacher, teacher. And that was me. <laughs> teacher, teacher, if you want to call on me, I'll tell you what I think happened. Justin, could you please come <laughs> to the front of the class and share with everyone what was in your note? No! <laughs> I don't have to. <laughs> um, again, it feels weird to throw around semi-serious stories like this compared to back then when we would just talk about conjecture about completely abstract people. Uh, and now those people are real and we all inhabit the uh, same space. So the far as the story I remember is that the reason – and the it sounded so funny on his like wiki was Jamie Noble was fired because he had a staph infection from a steroid injection. And the reason it became a big deal is because he wrote on like his insurance form or his medical form infection due to steroid injection. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm right that they weren't actually like testing or anything like that at that point. Right. Exactly. There was all of a sudden he created a very unfortunate paper trail where they were like, Oh, well that is of course, illegal and you are of course punished that's like um when people used to get caught having the like illegal cable boxes where they get all the channels by like taking their 
taking it into the cable repair place and, and like to the, like the cable company like my box isn't working anymore yeah <laughs> the thing i'm using to steal isn't doing what it's supposed to <laughs> please repair it yes they should do a casablanca parody thing where it's like I am astonished that there are steroid injections happening in the buttocks here, or whatever that line goes about, you know, gambling. But that's it. That's all I have. Thank you. That was well, for actually, me to earn my keep. Very helpful. You are already the most helpful guest we've ever had. And thank you. No, for- well, okay, listen. The most helpful person who's ever been on the show. Host, <laughs> yeah, present company, all included. So uh, the show we'll get to today is uh, The Future Is Now, which took place June 12th at the Supper Club in New York City, New York, in front of a reported crowd of 600 people. So this was a really crazy big weekend in uh, wrestling, at the, especially in the Northeast, because, you know, we hadn't yet gotten to the crazy WrestleMania weekends where, you know, a billion indies and other and major promotions would run around WrestleMania weekend. But this was kind of like an early version of that because this was the first big wave of, like, ECW nostalgia. And on this date was... um the first ECW one night stand, but two days earlier, there was um, the ha- Hardcore Homecoming, which was kind of the the other ECW reunion show that was done by I believe Jeremy Borash and Saint Shane Douglas, with basically every wrestler that WWE wasn't going to put on ECW one night stand, be it because they were employed by TNA at the time or just for other grudges or reasons, and so that was on on the tenth. Then on the eleventh. You had a double shot at uh, the ECW arena with IWA Mid-South running a show and then CZW running a show that same afternoon, which we might get to at the end of the show. A little touch on that a bit. And then on this day, not only could you have seen The Future Is Now, you could. it was literally, I think, Gabe references on commentary that this is like 10 blocks away from where ECW One Night Stand is going to be hours later. So you actually could have seen both shows. Now, Matt, Justin... I know this is the first ROH show, Matt, you ever went to, and you took Justin with you. Uh, if I remember correctly, you guys did not go to ECW One Night Stand, did you? No. So Did we? So I – you – Justin, would you not have remembered going to ECW One Night Stand? That show was wild, man. Um. <laughs> so um, I um, – so what happened was um, that was the we plan. We took the ferry back to your house. Yeah, so that, that was the plan. So um, – Justin and another one of our mutual friends uh, who lived in Arizona, he, um, they, they were all going to come out. We were going to go to One Night Stand, and we were like, oh, hey, let's go to ROH, too. Like, we've <laughs> never been to ROH. That would be a, a fun thing. They're running a show that afternoon. We could have, make it a whole, a whole day of it. And so I bought the ROH tickets, um, three of them, and I bought – and I was, you know, I was trying to buy the One Night Stand tickets when they um, – uh, you know, when they went on sale, and I could not. And I was like, I don't remember, actually remember which tickets I tried to buy first. I don't remember what the on-sale dates were. But when we couldn't get one-night stand tickets, and I think um, my, um, you know, Justin was already set on coming, I, I was just sort of like, you know what, let's just do it. We'll we'll go to uh, ROH. We'll watch um, one-night stand back at my house or my parents' house because I'd just gotten home from college, like, less than a month earlier. And... Um, and it was going to be a big, uh, a big slumber party, and uh, and uh, it was the ECW all nighter. Yeah, exactly. Um, our um, our friend from Arizona could not make it, so um, so it was just Justin and me. Justin, was that your 
Was that your first time in New York City? I, I forget. Except for being little and taken there by my parents because we have family in New Jersey. Gotcha. And, uh, so it was certainly the most scared I was to go <laughs> to New York. Not because of like crimes being done on me, but I, like the, I had to print out directions. And was like, that's so far. It's I, I, so big. I remember telling Justin, because I had been to Justin's house um, the two summers before in uh, – yeah, outside uh, a couple couple hours north of Pittsburgh, and I um and I had been there. We I went there in the summer of '03 and '04. We hung out for a few days. We watched SummerSlam together. It was a good time. And I remember telling Justin, like, because they, you know, uh, Interstate 80 was the uh, was the way to get out that way uh, from from here to there. And I remember saying, Justin, like, Justin, you would not believe that I 80 becomes like a four to five lane highway as you get close to new york city he was like no way man. yeah right and then he saw it with his own two eyes life right. changing we yeah. almost i mean it was a, a hypothetical situation where it would have been incredibly rude perhaps for me to be like i don't want to come because i'm scared after you had <laughs> come the same exact distance two years in a row um but to, to like really establish my diehard fan bona fides to your listeners, I did not want to go to ECW one night stand for any kind of like affinity or nostalgia for ECW. I only wanted to go because I thought it looked like a great WWE work rate card that ended up not actually being great from a work rate standpoint. <laughs> Justin, were you not a ECW fan like when it was on at all? No, I watched it on TNN when it came on because I was like, oh, hey, but that's not, from what I've been told, the ECW that truly moved people. No, yeah, I was the same way. Still, though. As a Canadian, like, uh, I had spent my whole, like, so many years reading in, like, the after mags and hearing about how great ECW was. And it was one of those things where, as a Canadian, sometimes this would happen back in the day where, like, you would get the thing after it wasn't cool anymore. And I, that's what it felt like ECW on TNN, where I was like, is this what everyone was talking about? Then later we learned, like, this isn't really what everyone was talking about. I was like, this is, it's, it's okay, I guess. I mean, Steve Carino did an angle with Limp Biscuit. That's pretty limp. I don't know. <laughs> I, I was, uh, Who would but, put this Cyrus Jabroni on national television? <laughs> you, you know, I don't know if it's controversial to say. Like, obviously, the TNN, TNN era ECW wasn't the best era of ECW by far, but. They still had some pretty good stuff going on during that time. It wasn't like all bad. They still had Tajiri, definitely. And it was, it was. I mean, it was better than like WCW by a lot. <laughs> I praise. And but, honestly, um, honestly, um, I'd say there were some things about '99 ECW that were better than, in my my opinion, '99 WWF, which was not my favorite year for the WWF either. So, anyway, I'll be the ECW defender here. But I, I, um. I guess I was more of a fan than you guys. I um, I I, I never went got to see ECW live, um, even though I probably could have if I if I really wanted to. But I um, I started seeing it because it would air like you know in the middle of the night on like MSG Network or whatever. Uh, in you know by the mid nineties, and I remember the first thing I saw was Steve Austin doing a promo in the middle of the night, and I was like. It was like December of 95. I was like, what the hell is this? Steve Austin, and he's kind of cursing a little bit. And he's, <laughs> he's, and it was just like a totally different guy. And I, I, I didn't watch every single week, but I watched it 
you know, regularly enough that I kind of got the vibe. And I definitely ordered the first ECW pay-per-view, uh, Barely Legal, and that was really cool. I felt really cool. And I remember that it started at 9 o'clock on a school night as opposed wow. to 7 o'clock. And my dad was getting really mad that it was like midnight <laughs> and I was still watching TV and like watching loud wrestling. It was like, why are you going to bed? <laughs> Uh, that's that's what I but also it was a really awesome show and then my cable company didn't even carry the next two ECW pay-per-views and that was the whole thing when you get to the Ring of Honor shows you went to with your dad is he going to be a guest on the show (laughs) I'm going to say absolutely not he went to two shows with me um, one in the summer of 05 one in the summer of 06 they were both not great shows and I there's no way I'm going to be able to get him to watch I don't even know if they, I don't even know Gosh, if yeah. they yeah I, I, I don't I don't think there's any way I can get them to watch either of those shows again to to go on. Um, That's tough because your dad is one of those people who's like very sincerely uh, into the idea that like guests who do podcasts should be paid for what they do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's very much like James Adomian. <laughs> yeah, he's part of the podcast guest union. <laughs> so um about about the future is now so clearly yeah. like reading the observer they were saying you know they were hoping to um draw big in fact i believe shay hagedorn told me right before we were going i said we were on twitter that we we're doing the show tonight he said a little message which i can get to later but one of the things he said apparently was ring of honor booked this show on a like seemingly late notice probably trying to take advantage just like probably you know the forever hardcore on the on the Friday or whatever, and and um, the IWA mid self working yeah. Philly, which they usually didn't do in CZW. But anyway, they pretty much admitted yeah. that's what they did. That's what they were doing it for. Even like they were upfront about that. <laughs> but uh, six hundred fans doesn't sound that great. Except when I looked at the when you look at this building for those who have not seen ever the future is now. I mean, this place looks cramped as hell. I mean, it, it's it's one of those buildings that has a very distinct look. It has like a balcony and a floor level. But if you watch the show, the fans are packed so close to the ring that on a couple sides of the ring, like the wrestlers have a hard time like maneuvering uh. around the ring. So do you guys remember like how – because you do, it, obviously they only shoot from a certain side. Like we don't get to see kind of the hard camp side. But like do you guys remember how – like was this place just jam-packed or was it just the kind of the way they configured things? I, rem- I remember it being pretty jam-packed. What about you, Justin? I believe we were hard cam, right? No, we were um, We were not – I don't know because the hard cam was facing the entrance. Oh. Uh, yeah. Um, we were, okay. We're, we were not – We were on the opposite side of the hard cam. We were, we were also facing the entrance. Uh, oh, that's what I meant. Sorry. Um, yeah. But um, wow, that's why I need to go to NXT. <laughs> learn where the hard game is but uh what i remember the uh the homicide very scary dive into the people being perpendicular to us is that right yes okay and and when and jay lethal when he escaped through the crowd he ran by us twice yeah yeah and um but yeah but but do you remember the you remember being very cramped i do i did not notice certainly the really aesthetically displeasing and uncomfortable looking space between the uh apron and the barrier on the sides until i saw it on this but um in terms of like capacity i don't remember that well and well, oh sorry go on because i obviously after this went to a lot of roh shows in a lot of different venues and i remember thinking like because this was the first roh show i'd been to like oh are they all like this it's like they have it has this cool nightclub feel and it's you know very small but in but intimate and like 
impact and you know and like so I just got this sense of what ROH was and obviously that is not what most ROH shows were or you know none no I don't think any other ROH venue I went to felt like this one I mean I'm pretty sure this place had like a bathroom attendant um, it, with, and there's a bar there too, like as yeah. we'll see at the end of the show. And yeah, yeah, for anyone that's never seen the Supper Club, it's a very distinct, kind of cool looking building. But you can also tell it's very cramped for re- once you stick a wrestling ring in there. Yeah, it, it's the closest thing I could think of to where I've seen wrestling shows that it sort of reminded me of is when Evolve would have shows at La Boom in Queens, but that oh, was yeah. but that was more spacious. Like you could walk around and stuff, and like you you, you could not do that at. Um, at the supper club it was definitely not a place that would be designed for wrestling and the vibe was very different than the new yorker hotel like the crowd obviously did not have the same level of like heat and intensity and like it didn't feel as as fun it felt cool but it didn't feel as fun i because i remember because the next show i went to after this was escape from new york was which was back at the new yorker hotel and that was like a whole different vibe like that was just so much louder and and you know bigger and but you know this was cool in its own way but it was just it was not a good representation of what ROH really was like. And my other note, the the competition you guys could have gone to see, if you didn't, well, actually, you would have had to have gone to ECW One Night Stand to do this, but my one other little note on this is, reading The Observer, Dave wrote, WWE set up an ECW autograph session, which goes head-to-head with the Ring of Honor show in the afternoon, although that was likely more as a way to sell the ringside seats, open only to those who buy $400 tickets than as competition for this Ring of Honor show. So if you guys had bought those $400 uh, ringside seats, you could have had a, uh, you could have gone instead to the ECW autographs session. I believe um, I was reading a live report in The Torch, uh, Derek Bergen, and he apparently went to the show with Dr. Keith. This, this show did not have the star-studded um, f- people of the last show where we joked about how in the commentary did some BS commentary about like, oh, Jay-Z and Puff Daddy are at New York for Ring of Honor. But this show did have, you know, Dr. Keith, Green Lantern fan as usual. Uh, I believe Jeremy Borash was said to be there, fresh off uh, helping promote the... Uh, Hardcore homecoming show. So, and definitely the first show with Justin and Matt there. So the movers and shakers <laughs> did show up. Yes. But um, when I was reading their recap, they were just saying that they, Derek Bergen said he and Dr. Keith attempted during like intermission of the ROH show to try and run down and get autographs at the ECW autograph session and then make it back in time. But eventually they just gave up and didn't go to the autograph session and told the taxi to turn around. But I thought, <laughs> Man, like, I don't have the energy to even go to one wrestling show, let alone try and go to a different autograph session in the intermission of the wrestling show I'm planning to return to in New York. Like, kudos to those guys for even attempting to have that, because that is way more energy than I have for basically any endeavor in my life. So. It, it just speaks to um, how, um, how you know, small Manhattan really is. I mean, both of these things were in different parts of Midtown, but, like... You know the the Hammerstein is on thirty like thirty fourth uh, between eighth and ninth. I'm pretty sure I haven't been there in a few years. Um, and the uh, I don't remember where the supper club was, but I think it was in the forties. So it's oh. like. You know, on um, commentary, Gabe says it's about ten blocks away. I don't know if that's true or not, but basically, he trusts just the idea that hey, like, like all that. these fans could go to the Hammerstein tonight to see ECW One Night Stand. Yeah, something like that. I mean, this is the only that was the only time I ever went to the Supper Club. It's not it wasn't a place I frequented. Also, you know, it's in Times Square, which is not the place that New Yorkers like to hang out in. Um, <laughs> well, like, really? we got to eat it's at my favorite restaurant. Cover. Yeah, J- Justin, I'm, Justin, I'm, Justin, I'm not even going to talk about where we had dinner. It's too embarrassing as a New Yorker to uh, mention where where 
you and I had dinner on Saturday night. But I will say that that on um, that on Sunday night after we left the ECW show, we went went home to watch the uh, one night. I mean, after we left the ROA show, we went home to watch. Um, uh, one night stand at at my house. My parents were barbecuing, and I tried to get Justin to try macaroni salad, and he was he almost did it, and he was just like, "No, I can't, I can't do it." You know what I'm going to say, Justin? You made the right call. Macaroni salad, not good. The I texture. like it. I like it. This uh, is June 2005, so you have to understand how fresh, or I guess about a year old, the classic Joe Bluth line about what about. Macaroni, let me finish salad was for me and Matt to say repeatedly at that time. <laughs> um, yeah, oh, I, th- I, th- I thought Matt? you were going to say that the macaroni salad was a year old, and I have to tell you, it was not. It was fresh. It was, I, I just looked. I, it, was, I just looked it up, and the Supper Club was. I, I don't think it exists anymore, but it was on Forty um, Seventh Street, West Forty Seventh. Supper Club is famous to me as a venue because there's a famous Bob Dylan show that he recorded a live special there with a very intriguing set list in 1993 and then scrapped. Was that ex- anyway. was that exciting for you at the time? Because I don't remember you going off about that. Huh. I'm, it seems like it may have came up briefly, but then not gone into too much conversation between us because how interesting is it to you and not me? I, I, do, have, <laughs> I do have one pre-show, other pre-show story for Trevor, if you want to hear it, okay. Yeah. Uh, well, sure. remember I, we had three tickets because my we had another friend that was supposed to come, and so we were waiting in line to get in, and there was a guy, you know, trying to uh, buy tickets, and we were just like, "Would you just like to have our <laughs> ticket?" Because um, you know we were we were feeling bad that we didn't we didn't you know we had this unused seat, and he and then uh, he took it and it turned out to be a nice a nice guy we never saw him again but a very nice guy i think he came down from massachusetts um to uh to see the show i think he was there to see he was also there to see one night stand as well and he uh, as we were walking by he saw Carrie silken who i did not know who he was at the time but i learned who he was you know shortly thereafter and he said you know hey Carrie, these guys these guys just <laughs> gave me a free ticket in third row and he was like oh great generous so, so, so Carrie Silken, thanks for generous, Justin. If he knows Carrie, he probably should have gone to him for the hookup and, and not us, I think. Well, exactly. To me, I hope your listeners picture you and me as just the nightest, sweetest little gentleman, because that's all we were trying to be. Yeah, I, I I had a ponytail at the time, so that makes me look a little bit sleazier. And then during the pandemic, my hair grew so long that I didn't get my hair cut in almost two years. And I had a ponytail again, and, and I just got it cut for the first time like two weeks ago. <laughs> I like this. But by the way, if you guys, I mean, you, you would have no reason to, but if you, if you have, if you were lucky enough to see uh, Matt's haircut, it's a Primo haircut now. Great looking hair. It looks just like Primo uh, Cologne. <laughs> yeah, I, I asked for the Primo. <laughs> they were like, well, are you sure you wouldn't like a Carlito? And I was like, I don't think my, I don't think my hair can do that. Yeah, so we, oh, sorry. What were you going to say? Probably another stupid diversion bit. Um, <laughs> no, go ahead. I mean, Trevor, this is good stuff, right? 
No, it is good stuff. Uh, uh, this is probably the most tangents we have, but that's why you have uh, Justin on, and also because you guys have personal anecdotes, because you were at the show. This is the very first Ring of Honor show Matt ever attended live, and Justin, and uh, not me, because I've never been to one. But It's worth noting that we sat with a complete stranger, isn't it? Isn't it, Trevor? <laughs> <laughs> well, and his name, why don't you tell us who his name was? His name was Tony. Tony Khan. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> I wish connected. But um, so we opened the show up. Uh, the, if you watch the DVD, they decide to start. They peppered this DVD throughout with clips from the uh, WB Eleven segments that Ring of Honor did promoting the Manhattan Mayhem show. We recapped those segments without seeing them on that episode of the podcast. But they show the segments throughout on this show, and just I guess to promote, just to say, hey, we were on TV. But um. I do want to say, in my notes for that episode, uh, the PW Insider, the whoever recapped that, said uh, Julie Chen was the host of those segments. I thought, oh, uh, you know, from Big Brother and stuff. And watching this, it becomes immediately apparent, whoever did that recap, it's not Julie Chen. It's a completely different woman named Julie Chang. So my <laughs> incredible apologies for the mix-up. But uh, sorry, both, sorry, both Julies who are both listening. We yes, apologize I mean, greatly. As soon as I saw the clip, I went, oh, God, that is not Julie Chet. That is a different woman. And uh, we so we opened with a 15-second clip from the, their appearance on uh, WB11 in New York with Julie Chang. And uh, the clip not was basically – Chen. Exactly. Wife of Les Moonves. <laughs> Very <Sexual> – Predator. <laughs> I, I don't know Julie Chang, but I'm going to say she's the better Julie here. Um, yeah, you can see why a company that had been through what Ring of Honor had <laughs> to distance themselves from Julie Chen. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Julie Chen, she still stands behind Rob. But um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this clip was basically just the newscasters introducing uh, Julie Chen. I mean, introducing Ring of Honor actually. Um, so anyway, he cut was to the way cards. too close to the wrestlers, in my opinion. That seemed dangerous for Julie. Yeah, the whole segment's well, she's in they had an outdoor ring set up and she's like in the ring. We'll we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit later, but she's like basically right on top of the wrestlers as they're doing spots. She's even doing spots with them. But um <laughs> cut yes. to the carnage backstage. They had to spend they talk about they had to spend three months at home with their wives and kids and nagging them to death because they lost the match with the Ring Crew Express at Scramble Cage where they had to spend three months away from Ring of Honor. Alok says no one cares though. No one cares about the buckets they've bled, about all the wars they've had, all the dues they've paid. DeVito says it's all done in Marcos's fault and Alok reminds us that three years ago at Night of Appreciation they destroyed Dunn and Marcos in a match and they said that was the easiest night of their lives. They say it'll happen again tonight and Lok ends as he walks away by just saying without context the words nudie bar he doesn't even have the strength anymore to say let's go to the nudie bar after the show he just says <laughs> nudie bar I, I just realized something the carnage cruise you're not wa- recording yeah no we're, we're recording um, okay. the carnage cruise wives are <laughs> basically like Vera from Cheers <laughs> that was Norm's wife we never saw her but he complained about her a lot <laughs> And I and I always wanted them to make it to finally make an appearance one day, but they never did. Just like Vera, Vera never showed up on Cheers, right? I don't think so. Who would be Sam in Ring of Honor? Would it be uh, Brian Danielson? He's so nice. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'd say CM Punk because he's the biggest ladies' man. Mm-hmm. And just like Sam, he doesn't drink. That's right. Okay, perfect. Whoa. We got it. Perfect. Done. 
Done. Now I'm just imagining uh, Ted dancing with a lot of like straight edge tattoos on him. But uh, the, big, the bigger so, question is, who's the Diane? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> a series of women, apparently. Um, <laughs> Ring of yeah. For, in Ring of Honor terms, I'm not sure what his romantic history was there, but we can certainly name the love triangles that he's been in. Lacey, yeah. Lacey was a bit was sort of more of like a Rebecca. <laughs> I have to admit, we've come to the end of my Cheers knowledge. Well, uh, I mean, well, you got to check, check it out, man. It's 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 a good show. I heard. No, it is actually. What do you prefer, the early seasons with Lita, or when they bring AJ Lee on at the end? <laughs> 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 Um, we cut to Jay Lethal backstage in a neck brace. He says he's been out with an injury because the last time he played by the Rottweilers rules, but tonight they play by Jay Lethal's rules. I wrote in my notes, this promo was one or two sentences long and somehow still bad. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, listen, Jay Lethal, as we know, got a lot better at promos. He was, I'm sure he would say the same thing. Not, not good at them in 2005. Like oh. it's notable. I think that's one thing we. I mean, I'm not, not that necessarily we've learned. We probably knew this, but like watching guys like Rocky Romero or the Briscoes or Jay Lethal, like you can't necessarily judge a guy by the like. It seems like you can learn wrestling. A lot of wrestlers learn wrestling well before they learn how to be like comfortable in front of a microphone and charismatic. Like I still haven't learned how to do that. And I've been talking for years now in front of one, but like it's amazing how good these guys became when some of these guys, if you were just going off your first impression, you would just be like, that guy will never cut a good promo in his entire life. And then they turn out to be great. Just like five or 10 years later. Yeah. It just goes to show. It really does go to show. You just got, you got to give people some time to develop because they, it is possible. You know, you can't, you can't judge somebody's uh, upside too soon. 2029. I'm really going to come into my own. I feel like, but, um, until then, I'll just have to soldier on talking about stuff like uh, the opening match which of the show, which was Colt Cabana defeating Jimmy Rafe, who was escorted to the ring by Diablo Santiago, Jay Chung, Killer Cruel, Oman Tortuga, and Prince Nana. He won Colt won via pinfall in 9 minutes, 33 seconds when he did a leg trap cradle, basically kind of the, uh, the Bret Hart, Davey Boy Smith SummerSlam finish where he kind of sits down in the cradle attempt and just holds onto the guy's legs and gets the win. Um, Matt... What do you think about this as a way to uh, kick off the show? This was your first live Ring of Honor show. I mean, match. Yeah, oh, both. Um, the um, So don't you think that given the narrowness of the ringside area, they should have taken a less is more approach in terms of who gets to be at ringside and not brought out like Mike Cruel and the Outcast Killers and Prince Nana and Jay Chuck. It just, that was too many people to have in that narrow of a space. I felt bad for everybody actually trying to just like perform in that situation. Um, that was my first notice, the first thing I noticed. But I guess the one thing I would say about this match is way more than most ROH openers, this was a very like WWE house show style opener in terms of like a lot of comedy, you know, like these are two, you know, pushed guys, you know, who could have had a really good wrestling match and they just, you know, didn't really try for that at all. It was like, you know, they were doing a lot of silly stuff. Cabana kept pantsing Jimmy Rave, like, which is got holy shit chance. The crowd definitely enjoyed it. Um, Colt was very excited. He was wearing polka dots. He was doing Dusty Rhodes spots. He was bionic elbows and stuff. Um, didn't seem angry at all at the guy who tried to like maim his best friend multiple times. <laughs> um, it was just a real silly, uh, 
you know, silly vibe to the match. Um, you know, but solidly worked, I suppose. It was just they they were not trying to have a good ROH style match. They were trying to have a WWF style house show opener that got the crowd going. And I think they did a pretty good job for that. Um, a, a pretty good job of that. Um, at one point, Gabe hypes AJ Styles' upcoming return to ROH on almost a full time basis, which is, you know, was almost exciting. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, they just, um, yeah, Cabana was mostly in control. Uh, he, he got the win, um, with a, uh, um, with just like a, uh, uh, you know, another uh, roll-up type of deal, a sudden roll-up. A lot of sudden finishes on this show, I thought. And I thought it was kind of surprising that they put Colt over when they were really, you know, pushing Rave so much before. But then I realized he has a pure title match on the next show, so it, it does make sense. But but yeah, kind of kind of disappointing if you were like, oh, look at what these two guys can do. But the crowd, um, the crowd appreciated the goofy antics, I suppose. Justin, what did you think? This was also your first Ring of Honor match. What a coincidence. Incorrect. I was on your show once. Oh, oh wait. Uh, oh, God. Why did I keep <laughs> thinking? You literally were on that Pittsburgh show. Oh. <laughs> well, oh, that, well, that was your trivia let's, question, and you blew it. Let's delete What was Justin's first ROH match? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, if you want to ask me what the opener of that show was, I don't remember. So. <laughs> <laughs> you convinced me for a second until I stopped and thought about it. Um, uh, I, I think Matt's comparison to a WWE house show opener was very astute. And I like that he used the word silly four or five times because one of the only things I have written in my notes for this match is the words being silly and a smiley face. <laughs> Jimmy Rave literally gets pantsed in this match. Um, um, I have um, four or five crystallized memories from the show from 16 years ago that I wanted to see how they'd play out and also if I was correctly remembering them. And memory number one was uh, when Colt Cabana did like an arm drag and cinch and he did a, a good facial expression and I thought he was looking right at me at the time. And I was like, you are being silly. <laughs> um, that's about it. I mean, I thought it, I'm, you probably cover this terrain regularly, so I'm the person root retreating like these points that are fairly obvious, but I thought it was so gross when they stepped on her back to get in the ring. Um, but she is an indentured servant or whatever. And so I guess that's her purpose. Yeah. Uh, Matt, did you know, and both of you guys, did you notice the gr- the great commentary moment where Gabe says, man, handling Jade Chung is uncalled for, especially the promotion called ring of honor. And I thought, what promotion have you been? Booking for <laughs> this what? was the moment. This was the moment he changed his philosophy. <laughs> um, I probably like this match a bit more than you guys. I, I thought this was just a good opener. I, I w- the word I would describe this as is breezy. Like it, it was a match where I feel like, like, I guess in a way it is basically what you said, Matt, where it was like kind of a WWE house show style match and it was more lighthearted in comedy. It was definitely weird, like you said, that Colt was not um, angry at the guy who just nearly maimed and killed his best friend. And uh, But I, I thought this was the kind of match – it was just fun the whole way through. It was a nice blend of like 
comedy and, and good wrestling. I thought Colt brought out a couple spots that were interesting that you don't usually see for him, like that that kind of elevated headlock that he flipped Rave up into a suplex. I liked when he uh, was when he was getting pinned by Rave, and then he does the bridge up, and then just sits on Rave while Rave's still like on all fours for the pin. I thought that was cute and neat. Um, he does one of his early butt butts, as uh, Dave Prezak would say. Um, it's one of those matches. I, I it, it's good opener, but it's one of those openers where like if I was another wrestler on the show, I would also not be scared of having to top it because they don't really do a lot of big near falls or a ton of big moves. It's not really ha- doesn't really have high emotional stakes. It's just like, but I also thought every moment of the match was pleasantly entertaining which i which you know there's a way to do an opener where it's like the show stealing crazy great match and there's a way to do the opener where it's just like oh it's like fun and it's a nice kind of like appetizer for the show and i thought this was more of the latter that said that said it's not like this would be out of place like i mean the quality of the work was probably higher but this would not be out of place on like any local indie show you know what i mean like a match like this right yeah although i think on a local indie show this might be more late in the card rather than, this might be like the main event rather than like the opener hmm. where in ring of honor, I think it's easier also to accept a match. That's a little bit more insignificant because you're getting a lot of stuff later on the show. That's a much more higher effort and bigger moves and all that stuff. But, uh, I also liked that, that during the commentary, uh, at this point, Dave Prezak's with Gabe, uh, CM Punk will join at different times. And Prezak asked Gabe, are you ready to take it to the extreme? And Gabe's like, Oh, I don't know if you can say that. Like, I always love when Gabe, like, acts way more scared than he should be. Like, he's going to get sued for saying, like, extreme. <laughs> I, but, um, so after the match, uh, Nelly gets on the mic. He gets angry at Ring of Honor Soundman for playing Colt's theme, even though Colt won, so that's what you do. Uh, he tugs Jade Chung by the, around by the arm. He tells her to go in the ring and slap Colt. Reluctantly, she does step in the ring and she does slap Colt. Colt then grabs her by the hair. He teases punching her, but then his theme music kicks in again, which that's an odd choice to start playing your theme music at that point. Uh, Colt yells at the music sound guy, gets the music to stop. He says, there will be absolutely no dissing of Barry Manilow's Copacabana. He says, Jade is going to get what she has coming to her. And then he begins to dance with her as the sound guy plays Let's Get It On by Marvin Gaye. She seems to enjoy the dancing. She starts to dance, too, until Nana just grabs her by the foot, trips her. She falls, like, face first, hard on the mat. He pulls her out and just drags her out of the ring to the back. And This angle is not going to get any comfortable over the next few months, is it? <laughs> any more comfortable? Yeah. No, this is, I mean, I don't really remember this from, like, seeing it live, but I don't, and I don't know. I guess it didn't leave an impression, but, man, it leaves an impression now, and it's, it's bad. It's, it's just bad news. I mean... I, I felt even bad that, like, even though Colt, you know, in the end was, like, not violent toward her, like, just him getting involved and putting his hands on her was made me sad, you know, that, like, Colt had to be tainted by this whole thing. I felt the yeah. same way. Like, I, I knew he would never dare strike her, and they were going to have a fun little dancey dance, which I was like, wow, she's good at dancing. Um, for the one second she was allowed to dance until she was face-planted. But um, he, it wasn't, like... I guess it's it's of the time and still bad when evil women get like bumped by men if you're like the truly monstrous sensational sherry or whatever <laughs> but she didn't do anything she is a slave no. or whatever and she was ordered to strike him and he still had to do the like grab her by the head and why I oughta 
roar back yeah. fist at her, and that wasn't cool. And the other thing was, like, besides just the horrible sexism and, like, violence towards women, there's an element of racism involved in this, too, that even makes it that much worse. You know, Nana has, um, you know, made some racist comments. He tells her to take her uh, Vietnamese ass and go slap the hell out of Colt at one point. Like, just, you know, and then, like, the way he, like, pulls her down and pulls her out of the ring. It's just... It's just awful. I mean, I get that they're being heels and like they're going to get their comeuppance, but like it's awful. Yeah, it'll be interesting when like obviously that stuff wouldn't be acceptable today. It'll be interesting when we get to the point where like that stuff starts to fade away because we still haven't reached that point yet. We've been doing this for 68 episodes. So, well, I mean, um, I mean, do you remember? I mean, I don't want to spoil something that's going to be talked about in 25 years, but do you remember the the 2008 angle involving Bobby Dempsey and Alice in Danger? Uh, not real, Matt. I just forgot that Justin was on the show previously. So, what do you think? Uh, <laughs> well, well, just so you know, this stuff's not going away at any point that we are doing this show. Oh boy! Oh boy! Um, so, uh, next. Do you think? The- I'm oh, sorry. Do you think it would hurt for some for you to bend over and for a man to step on your back and put all his weight on it into the ring, or do you think it's like lying on a bed of nails where it doesn't look as uncomfortable as it really is? I, I mean, I think. I'm sure, like, Jimmy Rave tried to do it in a way where he was, like, he grabbed the ropes at the same time, like, and, like, did it real fast, so, but I can't imagine that it's comfortable, you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) like, I'm sure Rave tried his best not to hurt her, but, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I I still don't think it's a good thing to do. (laughs) That really, like, for, it was a weird difference for me between, like, this is a person in the wrestling business who can take physical things and fall down whereas stepping directly in the middle of this little lady's back was the one thing that where i was like don't do that don't do that and he does it a lot over the few over the next over the past few months and the next few months he'd like it's a, yeah. like a lot finally say one nicer thing uh with regard to this whole scenario is that since i'm not on your show regularly uh my perspective is was more like whoa it's cold cabana and it made me very happy to be here in 2021 that Colt Cabana is even in a really lower tier role with a regular spot on a, a national wrestling show. So I was like, you are a nice and good person. He's never stopped. He's, he's does the Twitch now, even like all, which always weird. Like I've never seen Colt Cabana's Twitch, but it's weird. Like you think of the younger wrestlers doing it. I think I saw one <laughs> clip once of someone like making some joke about Colt never getting laid and him just telling someone in Twitch chat, like, Oh fuck off. And I thought, <laughs> That's the fun you get up to when you're in your <laughs> early 40s online. Yeah. But, uh, it stuck out more because on this show are both Samoa Joe and Austin Aries. And there was that period of time in like 2015 when they started getting like regular NXT spots where I was like, just put, let Colt Cabana be in NXT for six months so he can say his WWE thing was ultimately fine and not a blight <laughs> on his life. I just tweeted last week that like, um, that you know, if I were running AEW, I would just do something for a few months that allowed Colt Cabana to, you know, show off his personality on TV in a prominent way. You know, even Let if it wasn't long term, like a Christopher Daniels type angle, where it's like it's, it's Colt Cabana's one big attempt. I think he's already done that on Dynamite before, like a long time ago. But nevertheless, yeah, definitely. I mean, there's more to get from him. Although in AEW, there's so many people there. You could probably say there's more to squeeze out of like 25 people there right now but there's no one that i have as much affection for as as colt cabana 
There's no more you'd rather squeeze from that roster. <laughs> yeah. Cole Cabana. Exactly. Um, so next we would cut to a clip of Roderick Strong versus Alex Shelley from New Frontiers. While Gabe on voiceover announces that as a result of the Generation Next attack on that show after the match, uh, Alex Shelley is out indefinitely. So now that Jay Lethal is back, now we're getting Alex Shelley injury updates. And then that brings us to the New York Tag Team Street Fight. The Carnage crew of DeVito and Loke defeated the Ring Crew Express of Dunn and Marcos in 7 minutes, 34 seconds, when DeVito pinned Marcos after a spike pile driver off the second rope. Uh, Justin, this is a uh, very violent match. I mean, uh, have you had you ever seen, I imagine this was certainly not the first, I now as I have been reminded, not even the first Ring of Honor show you've been to, but I mean, I can't imagine like, seeing many matches this violent uh, live, Can, even if sort of something that goes semi-regularly. Let me interject. Do you remember what the, that's the Carnage crew had on the show that Justin went to in Pittsburgh against the, uh, against the um, Texas Wrestling Academy? Matt, I'm starting to forget even what we're doing right now. So well, uh, That match was pull- extremely violent and really, really – it was actually very good. Um, this match was one of those two things. Go ahead, Justin. Uh. Sorry. I don't remember that 2002 match. Um, I, yeah, I, I went to an ECW WWF house show where I think they like broke some tables or whatever, but obviously that was in a very controlled, sanitized, like fake extreme way. Yeah, I, I didn't, I remember not having fun during this match at the time or rewatching it. Um, I think. That's that's about it. I spent most of the match trying to remember the name of the Marcus Melitsas or whatever <laughs> writes for the Daily uh, the Coast. Daily Coast guy. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> so I was mostly like, it's not the Daily Caller. That's the bad thing. Um, they're both they're both bad in their own way. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, this was a New York street fight, and you boys know that in New York on the streets. That's where it really gets really, really tough. Um, That's where the ladders so, come out. The streets <laughs> um, of New York. <laughs> didn't like it. Uh, is Punk on commentary yet? Yes. Uh, yeah. Okay. So I that was the I wanted to confirm because my notes are like stream of conscious, but that's where the Punk note begins. Um, I I was not having fun with the match, and I was like, well, at least CM Punk, my close friend and really famously good talker is here doing commentary to add some plus some color to the match oh I, now i understand the term color commentary and his one of the first things he did was like with no twists with no irony just did the when he sits around the house really sits around the house joke and i was like <laughs> wow the classic wit of our greatest wrestling words man <laughs> he also said go back to revenge school which i don't really understand either <laughs> he, he also st- i mean he, he must have had like his kids joke book out because he also said i talked to loke earlier on and i told him it was a little chilly outside and loke ran outside with a spoon and it's like <laughs> that's like did you read that out of like bobby heenan's waste paper <laughs> uh, most of my observations here are punk based uh, so I'll defer to Matt real soon. I just wondered, do you guys know how relative to when the show takes place they record the commentary for it? And I just wondered, like, 
as Punk already won the ROH title when he's doing the commentary for this match, being like, I swear to God I'll win that title. I swear. I, I think it's very possible that he could have. I think it's different, different for different shows. Like, I don't think, mm-hmm. I think, like, you know, sometimes they'll do a bunch of shows at once. So I, I feel like Shane Hagedorn would probably be a better person to ask about that. But, um, <laughs> um, because, um, but I, um, you know, it is definitely possible that he had already won the title and turned heel <laughs> by the time he did this commentary. Yes. Well, I thought if, that was cute. If, if nothing else, it would, uh, he would probably have known that he was going to have won the title, even if he hadn't wrestled the match yet. But, um, Matt, before I throw it to you, I have a feeling, I, I mean, I know this now from Justin's review from you saying that this match was only, was not, you basically said this match was not good. I'm going to be the high vote on this because I enjoyed this. I thought this was also good in its own way. I mean, this is about as one-sided a match you will ever see in Ring of Honor, other than a little brief run of uh, um, <clears throat> the Ring Crew Express offense. This is just a Carnage Crew squash. It's completely brutal, but it, it's a complete different kind of match than everything else on the show, and I like variety, and it is a crazy spectacle. Like, Dunn and Marcos both blade. Marcos blade, like, bleeds a lot. Um there are some really brutal spots here. Uh, one of the ring crew express, they get hit. Uh, Dunn takes what looks like like a wooden chair. Like there's a chair made out of wood that splinters away, which seemed crazy. I mean, the Conch crew pour Jack Daniels and cuts. But really the biggest crazy spots on this are both with ladders where um, Dunn and Marcos do a uh, – the, the Conch crew are getting a ladder outside the ring and Dunn and Marcos do like a double dive onto them while they're holding the ladder. And then late in the match – um, Dunn and Marcos are on opposite corners of the ring. They're going to do like double dives, and uh, D- Dunn gets thrown off the top rope through uh, onto a ladder that was suspended on the apron and on the barricade, and he just bounces off the ladder, and it's just horrific. But I can see why people might not like this because again, it was very one sided and very brutal, and just uh, and probably not safe, but. I liked it as a spectacle, and maybe secretly I did kind of like uh, the little chili line from CM Punk. <laughs> but, Matt, before I throw it to you, I just want to say there was one chant during this match I did not recognize first. I thought, is that a Your CD Sucks chant? I thought, what is that? And then afterwards, I read in the notes from uh, Derek Bergen's live review that apparently um, Loke was giving out they were giving out CDs of a band Loke is in to everybody at the start of the show. But from what I understand, Matt, you and Justin did not get free Loke CDs. Yeah, I I mean I definitely did not um get a CD or that I can recall. I I'm pretty sure that actually sucks. that I'm pretty sure actually that I had the same process as you of like, what is that chant all about? Then reading Derek Bergen's recap at the time and being like, oh, okay. That's interesting. I mean, keep in mind at the time, I didn't even know who Loke was, you know? Like, the Carnage crew were two guys, Run Dunn and Marcos were two guys. Like, that's how little ROH I'd watched. I just watched, yeah. like, you know, some of the famous hype matches with Samoa Joe, CM Punk, Daniel, yeah, I knew Daniels and Homps. I knew those guys. But I didn't know, like, the undercard guys pretty much at all. So, this was like, you know, okay. I would have no idea that they, they had CDs or anything like that. Um, I did end up with a Loke CD from that trip, but I paid, I think, $36 for a Tone, <laughs> tone Loke CD in Times Square. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, th- th- there is a thing in New York where people will try to come up to you and like just be like, hey, I got my new CD, buy it. Here's the CD, put it in your hand, give me the money for it now. Like, Come to that, my trunk. That's a thing that happens, but... Um, um, 
Um, as far as the match, yeah, I mean, I did not think it was like bad per se. Like this match actually got a really bad rap at the time, and I remember definitely thinking it was very uncomfortable to watch. I just didn't think it was like good either. There were definitely some some you know big bumps. But it was just like I like this match was pretty much put here to be the extreme match on the card since that yeah. was the theme of the weekend. But it just didn't feel like this is what the audience wanted to see. Uh, and the audience was you and me, so you're right. Yeah, but I'm just saying, like, like, and these two teams actually could have had a good, like, back and forth hardcore match. I think like a pretty good one. And they they did have a better one later on down the line. Maybe not quite as brutal as this, but. This, I think, was just a little too one-sided for me. But I totally agree with you that some of those bumps were, were really good. Um, it was, yeah, it really was, though, like a squash match, which, yeah. you know, Dunn and Marcos had just had a tag team title match the week before. So that was, that's surprising to watch in context. And then Dunn and Marcos, they get one big spot where, where they, where they splash the ladder, knocking down both of the Carnage crew and then get like a little bit of offense in before, you know, that spot that you were talking about where Dunn just, bumps off the ladder real hard. Um, I will say this. I loved all of CM Punk's dad jokes, and I want to hear more of them. <laughs> but yeah, no, I don't, I don't think it was a bad match, I, 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 but I would not call it good. So and CM Punk I, is now a dad to that friggin' dog or whatever. <laughs> I was going to say, for a second, I was thinking, oh, God, is my memory that bad? Did CM Punk have a kid? And they said, oh, to that dog. I thought, oh, thank God. Justin must okay. not like that dog. He called it freaking. <laughs> well, if I remember correctly, that is a very ugly dog. Yeah, but um, I can't believe I can't believe you're saying those things. No offense to CM Punk. I may I take no part in this insulting of this, <laughs> of this little dog. Oh, what if so, CM Punk shoots on through the years podcast? <laughs> <laughs> so um, after the match, th- that's when Devito, like I said earlier, that's when he pours uh, the Jack Daniels onto Marcos's cut because the uh, Card Crew's new thing that seems to be to come out drinking Jack Daniels. And having commentary talk about how they're better now that they've gained weight again and gotten fat again, which <laughs> live in the dream. Um, at that point, that's what we, Jericho said when he went to New Japan, right? <laughs> <laughs> Chris Jericho really is a modern Carnage Crew <laughs> <laughs> Just swap samosas for Jack, and everything else tastes the same. But um, I became fat on purpose to be good. <laughs> Oh, God, that was amazing, like, a year or two ago, where, like, briefly, like, Jericho gained a bunch of weight, and Dave Meltzer was like, yeah, he wants to be, like, more of a Brody style, like, he he wants to be heavier, then, like, Jericho, within, like, a couple of weeks, I think, had lost some of that weight, I was like, well, apparently... Maybe he didn't. I don't know. Um, this is like a, this is this is a real Mac from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia that one season situation. <laughs> There's a lot of stories about people during the pandemic who wanted to become more like Bruiser Brody to protect themselves from all the unrest going on in society and decided to become fat. <laughs> um, we. <laughs> Can we I say cut- one more silly thing? Go, Sorry. Go ahead, go ahead. Justin's go ahead. apologizing for being himself, and I don't like it. Yeah, for bringing the funny. <laughs> there, This goes all the way back to the really important CD point, but the chant they did was like, your CD sucks, right? Once mm-hmm. you deciphered it, yes. the four-syllable one, yes. your CD. So in two months is when John Cena will really famously get the crowd to turn on him when he wrestles Jericho at um, SummerSlam. So really, the way to do that chant is your CD sucks. Right? That would fit a lot better. 
Right. Good, How good, was good point. Cena's CD received again? Like, was it because like wasn't like I remember like maybe I'm crazy. This is another tangent, but like wasn't it almost like a grudging? Like, that's not that bad actually. Like, even from people like like it's not a good rap album, but it's not it, it's not Bret Hart on the. Uh, the wrestling album singing a ballad like it it, <laughs> it it was more passable than that it was better than be a man hulk um i my memory is the first one that was like the a-team one people were like oh that was kind of tight john cena but then before SummerSlam, he did the one that was like a more ballady sensitive one that was like I'm just a kid, and here is some home video footage of my really expensive house I grew up in in the Massachusetts suburbs. And then like, okay, just because your friend is called the trademark doesn't mean that you guys didn't have a really good upbringing. That yeah, I do remember that, but I, I you know I remember also when Cena's new music. Um, you know, debuted right around this time, you know, the one that he's most famous for. I was kind of bummed that basic thugonomics was gone. But, you know, looking back, that music is like, you know, the best, you know, like, I mean, is I mean, Justin, you've been to a lot of WWE live events. Is there any music that can, has come on in the past, let's say, 15 years in WWE that gets you amped, like hearing the beginning notes of Cena's theme? That is, and it'll be coming back soon. Or uh, will the Thunderdome? I forget when they're going to crowds. Yeah, I think when John Cena. Oh, that's time for Cena's like alleged comeback to TV will be for fans for when they because there, there's there's multiple like iconic things with Steve Austin's thing. It's just a glass thing, but Cena has like the the uh, the descending notes and then burr abadu. So that's all the <laughs> stuff to get you pumped up and then go into the actual beat of the thing. So you're right, Matt. That's I 100 percent agree. But I liked so many distinctive, uh, like, real-life songs that went on the show where this crowd liked the incredibly, like, uh, dorky James Gibson music and some of the Rapping Man songs for Samoa Joe, etc. And CM Punk's really distinct music. And then at other times, they liked the incredibly silly Brian Danielson song. So what a wide palette for the Ring of Honor fan base. Definitely. I mean, if we learned anything, wrestling can make you like a lot of music. It could even make you like Limp Biscuit. So uh, <laughs> I never, I never got there. I'm the only one that just, I, I can't, I can't make it happen for myself. My way, great cut. Come on, man. Nope. It's like Three, Kid Rock says, you know, if it, one. if it hits. <laughs> I, I, I did kind of get into um, um, that lonely road of faith. I have to admit. <laughs> You were always more of a fan of crack addict. You're a fan of crack and skulls when people start static. But uh, um, we we at this point on the show, we cut to another clip from WB11, which I only mentioned because it's kind of incredible. Uh, Lacey is actually wrestling in this ring with Julie Chen. <laughs> uh, Julie Chen at this point then hugs Lacey and goes, oh, I think I win. And Lacey kind of gives that I'm a heel, but uh, I'll kind of grin thing. And I just wrote my notes, Julie Ch- Ju- I mean, Julie Chang, Julie Chang, Julie Chang, the original Bailey, because she was definitely a hugger in this segment. Um, my notes say friendship, friendship. <laughs> uh, next up was the six-way mayhem. Asriel defeated BJ Whitmer, deranged, fast Eddie, Izzy, and Jack Evans at eight minutes, 17 seconds when he pinned Izzy after a top rope double stomp. 
I, this is the third straight match on the show that was under 10 minutes that I thought was very stylistically different that I felt like did kind of exactly what it needed to do. I thought this was good too. Like I thought you had kind of a breezy fun comedy opener. Then you had like a crazy ECW kind of hardcore tribute. And then you had a, this is your crazy wild, like scramble spot fest. And they don't reinvent the wheel. It's just crazy spots, but I felt like it was a good version of that. And like a, like a lot of the good scramble type matches, it doesn't overstay its welcome at all. I mean, it's only eight minutes for six guys. And, but I also thought in those eight minutes, they did a good job kind of making sure that everyone almost got like an equal spot to shine in this match. Um, other than BJ Whitmer, who I thought played his role really well as like the big guy who did what you want a big guy to do in a match like that, which is like toss guys around and he hit like a really cool, like spinning pyramid, sit out power bomb, like just this really cool cross arm power bomb. Like everyone else in this match basically was like the best regular high flyers ring of honor had access to at this point in their history. Like the only guy you could say you could swap in would be, I think if you swapped in BJ whip out BJ for uh, Matt Seidel, you'd have like the top six high flyers ring of honor had access to at this point. And yeah, just a lot of, you know, crazy spots, you know, usual, you got your dives and, you know, some usual, some sloppy stuff too. And, but, you know, in a, in a scramble type match, I think you accept it, just, you accept it better. And, uh, Punk again on commentary, a couple highlights. He said, I believe he called Jack Evans Corkscrew Schultz, which was a, <laughs> uh, a good, a good nickname. And, um, Matt, I love that, uh, uh, punk, you know, he calls BJ Wemmer still. We, we've got so little punk on commentary left, but he's along with us one of the three people that will not let go of Gabe calling BJ Whitmer a horse because he even goes, that Clydesdale, he's not a Clydesdale like BJ Whitmer. So I, I, I continue to enjoy that. Uh, Matt, what did you think about this? Yeah, I thought this was, was pretty, was pretty great for what it was. I, um, you know, they don't, at this point in ROH, the part, the part, the point that we're reviewing, they don't do these like scramble and six men mayhem type matches as often. I think the last one was on the trios tournament show, right? And, uh, this is, I think is one of the better ones they've, they'd ever done. Like just, it was, it was short. Like it was like eight minutes. But I don't even think there was really that much in the way of sloppiness. Like, I think there was just like a lot of really cool moves that were very well timed, and it was just like boom, boom, boom. And it was, you know, it's pretty Hulk much. Ex- That's right. It's, it's pretty much exactly what you would want this match to be. Like, I can't think of anything that I would say this, this should have been different. There was something after the match that I would have, that I thought should be different, which I'll get to. But like, right, right at the beginning, and you know how much I love deranged, but like, during his entrance, he was coming to the ring. He he has a cell phone. Okay, he, I have this written down. Yeah, he's like he's like he wa- I want to buy six thousand shares of Doritos, and then he tells a fan, "I'm on the phone. Be quiet." Which <laughs> is just a very fun thing to say when you're walking to the ring. Um, um, With music playing. That's right, <laughs> loud music. Um, I also noticed that Jack Evans was slapping hands on the way to the ring, so I was like, have Generation X officially turned face without doing a face turn? I'm still not clear even after watching this whole show. But um, I've we'll get, given up trying to figure that out. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that later. If there, if there was well, – I'm going fi- well, to notice after the next show, I guess. But if there was a line of demarcation of Generation Next are just suddenly baby faces now, this might have been the one show because they were definitely heels on the last show um, and the show before that. So um, – but yeah, so Durant wrestles in his full dress shirt and tie, which is fun. Um, and um, let's let's take a look at some of these moves. So um, 
So Vassetti hits a tombstone on Deranged, and then BJ Whitmer comes in, suplex, does suplexes on Eddie and Evans, then a spine buster through to Deranged, then he rolls through an Azrael crossbody into a delayed brain buster, so he's just like busting out the big moves. Um, so Deranged took a tombstone and a spine buster, so you'd think he should be out, but, um, He's really not for very long. But Izzy suddenly jumps in the ring, does a reverse Rana on Whitmer, which is actually very well done. Then the Lacey's Angels come in. They do a code red neckbreaker combination on Eddie. And Punk says, that's such a devastating maneuver that I would be shocked if Fast Eddie can now somehow see. Because you see, Justin, um, Fast Eddie is legally blind, and the commentators like to talk about that constantly when he's wrestling. Um, So... um, and then there's a bunch of dives. He got, he got blind to go to Japan and be like Stan Hansen. That's right. <laughs> that's a good one. Um, that's It's just actually clever on so many levels, Justin. Um, <laughs> um, and you know, I actually wrote at one point, should I really complain about the lack of selling here? And <laughs> I, I mean, I shouldn't, right? It's, it's just not the point of this match. Like, they're not supposed to sell anything, right? Um, yeah. But one of my also favorite crowd moments is everyone's doing dives and they like do chants for the next guy to do a dive. And then after everyone does them, they start chanting for Nana to do a dive. And he starts looking at the crowd all shocked, like, what me? Because um, Nana's reactions are awesome. Um, then suddenly Whitmer and Fast Eddie have a chop battle, which you wouldn't expect Fast Eddie to be involved in a chop battle with BJ Whitmer, right? Like that's not really yeah. his deal. Um, but um, Eddie hits a high angle Russian leg sweep, which I feel like he's the only guy who does that move, where it's like it's a legs like a Russian leg sweep driver almost, um, where he like does a Russian leg sweep, but the guy lands on the back of his neck. Um, um, and Eddie, uh, I mean, and Evans gets an ear fall with a corkscrew on Eddie. Then Izzy comes in, does a moonsault dropkick, sending Evans to the floor. Um, Azriel blocks Arana by Izzy, drops him into the electric chair. Then Derange comes in and hits a snapmare driver on Azriel, which is now my new favorite move. I think that's such a cool move. I hope someone else I does that, that move. move. Just such a good move. Um, then uh, Whitmer hits some moves and then in a really awesome spot, Evans is on the apron. Whitmer goes to spear him off but Evans moves, causing Whitmer to just do a dive onto Fast Eddie. Then Evans follows up with a space-flying tiger drop onto both of them. And the crowd just goes absolutely ballistic. Like, that was such a well-timed, cool spot. Like, I feel like if this match just had that spot, I would really like it. But that was on top of all the other shit I just said. Um, then uh, Izzy misses a baseball slide with Azriel in the Tree of Woe. Um, but Azriel, because Azriel moves and it's a top rope double stomp to the back of Izzy's head and gets the pin on Izzy. So here's my complaint about this match. So this is really, I mean, I didn't know this when I first saw it, but this is really Azriel's first big win in ROH. Yeah. And like, clearly they're, they're going to try over the next few months to do a little bit more with him. And they just cut away immediately. And I don't know if you agree with me on this, but I've really come to firmly believe this. If you want to push a guy and give him momentum, like the lingering on the victory and like the putting the guy over after a victory is probably more important than the victory itself. Like if a guy wins a bunch of matches and you immediately move on and forget about them, they don't mean anything. If a guy wins a bunch of matches and you like talk about it, talk about it and like see him celebrating and reveling in the crowd reaction and like getting more popular, 
that's what gets a guy over, not just like, okay, he won, bye. I don't, am, I, am I crazy here? No, um, I – uh, you know, this is again uh, not to make this about AEW, but like a common complaint about them too is like when you pack things so tight, like it's important to like the result isn't the only important thing. It, you know, especially like when a guy has a big win, you want to celebrate with them, kind of. You know, it reminds me of like what was the one a few weeks ago or whatever where they did the end of that. Um, you know, like they did the whole storyline of, you know, if Christopher Daniels mm-hmm. and Frankie Kazarian lose, they're going to, uh, you know, they're going to never be able to team again. And they set up this whole winning streak and then he, they, their team loses and like they cut away to a backstage segment immediately. Like you don't get to like any like emotional payoff or commiseration. It's just like, well, the stipulation has been, you know, executed. It's done. And then maybe tune into be being the elite on YouTube next week and maybe you'll see something. I don't know. And yeah, exactly. I feel, yeah, like if, if, if it's just a win and then immediately goes on to the next thing, it doesn't seem special. Like you, you, I, th- I don't think every, after every single match you want something lingering, but after anything that you want to be really to hit home, you should have at least a couple, a minute or two of like, focus and the announcers talking about it absolutely yeah i mean but i I would say probably after every single match you do want to you do want to linger on it for more than like literally a tenth of a second right yeah like like because that's really what all this was yeah it was a tna thing too where they would be like to the back remember exactly yeah yeah, alvarez turned that into one of the early wrestling memes pretty much that's right people got to bring it back in in a big way when they cut away from the uh, lax thing yep or excuse me the scu so, uh, Justin, uh, how about all those moves? There was a Ooh. lot of moves. It's funny you say that, and in the context of Matt's review, is I think when we went back to Matt's home, he was reading me reviews of this show, and like this on the message board, and then someone's star rating for this match was like four and one quarter stars, and I was like, Matt, come on now. How can that be? <laughs> um, boy, uh... Yeah, most of my observations were about Deranged's phone call. Um, why would he try and make that call then? Like, it's such an inopportune time for what seemed like an important deal. Why was he dressed like that? Uh, I really felt like he seemed someone who should have been named Fast Eddie, because someone named Fast Eddie would be, like, making deals and things like that. Um yeah, do you want someone that's legally blind to be fast ever? Like that seems like that would work against you. Uh, what other good things to say here are? Um, Did you like now, the match, Justin? It would be a question that I would have. I zoned out. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I like the moves you mentioned. Yes, but um, um, it all it all went back to that four and a quarter star thing. I was like, well, they're doing they're, they are doing some cool moves. Um. This is me having an internal debate with myself that I just lost. Okay. Basically, my thoughts were so, like, congratulations to Israel that he won this match, and, like, Israel has every right to defend himself in the match. (laughs) No, no. Justin, we're we're cutting it off. (laughs) The asymmetrical aggression that he displayed, and really the the callousness for the well being of everybody else in the match. And the fact that the commentators mostly condoned it was, I thought, uh, really... The, uh. the end of the show. <laughs> um, <laughs> boy, if, if Prince Nana ever lost, like, a, his 
client loses, he must leave uh, Ring of Honor. Do you think the fans would chant "No, no, 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 hey, hey, goodbye"? <laughs> yes, it's my one-word answer. <laughs> so yeah, four and a quarter sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, well, was that worth the end of the show at Trevor? Was yeah, that worth our show being gone forever? I mean, one of us will probably be now be found in a shallow grave, but uh, <laughs> uh, it, it's still worth. I mean, I was kind of looking forward to that anyway, so it's kind of like killing two birds with one stone, um, or two or two hosts. <laughs> so, uh, Matt, you said you had something to talk about after this. Is it the no, no, that, that, that was, that was it. Just the, that was it. Just the complaint about link about um, cutting away from Azriel too quickly. Okay, that, good because I just wanted to make sure. I didn't Azriel, 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 in Palestine. Um, <laughs> we we get another clip from a WB eleven. This is a uh, Julie Chang is now in the outdoor ring watching Azriel and Austin Aries wrestle as Eye of the Tiger plays in the background because of course it's a morning news segment about wrestling, so they're going to play something like Eye of the Tiger. And then um, I just like she's like she's it's such a weird segment because she is in the ring like just a foot or two away from these guys who are trying to do like a serious like little spot of indie ROH work rate wrestling and she's just commenting out she goes look how red his chest is she says after like a chop it's just like it's the it's like if your mom was in the ring watching you like wrestle like <laughs> don't hit him too hard like it's just it's got that kind of energy it was, it's a very unique segment that's um, uh art donachan commentary <laughs> So uh, next is the big segment. Um, this is uh, Derek Dempsey in his debut. Uh, he's uh, from the second Ring of Honor training class, I believe. This was his debut. and What a debut. Versus the masked Boston superstar, who I assume is Loke or possibly DeVito. Uh, they goes to a no contest in 20 seconds. Gabe calls these two guys two hot prospects. And um, basically these two go into a headlock. And at this point, Shane Douglas's music hits. And out comes the man himself. Um, Shane attacks both guys. He lays out the Boston, mass Boston superstar with the belly-to-belly suplex. Uh, Shane Hagedorn told me uh, a few hours ago that he said that uh, apparently he was supposed to be one of the people getting, I guess, tossed around by Sh- Shane Douglas. But, uh, yeah, exactly. It was supposed to be some hot uh, Shane-on-Shane violence. But I guess... He uh, Ring of Honor booked this show at the last second, I guess, to take advantage of the ECW kind of weekend with the Hardcore Homecoming and One Night Stand. And so because of that, I guess Shane and some of the other Ring of Honor students like Davey Andrews had already booked uh, a show for a different indie in, uh, I believe, Massachusetts. So instead, he couldn't have get this spot. So that's a little trivia note for you. But anyway, um, Shane Douglas gets on the mic. He gets a good pop. And at this point, Shane Douglas says, uh, rumors are there's a little independent promoter down the road trying to have a reunion show. Crowd boos this. Uh, Shane says, trying to have an ECW reunion show without the franchise is like a bull with no horns and no balls. And at this point, the crowd cheers. They're, they're into Shane Douglas. And then at this point, it takes a turn because Shane then says he was invited to go to that show and he told <laughs> them they could kiss his franchise ass. And before he even can finish that sentence, the crowd audibly turns on him. The immediately chants start of you're a liar. Shane at this point, instead of acknowledging it, maybe sheepishly going, OK, I wasn't invited. He just pushes through with his pre-planned promo. At that point, he says, I had a choice to go to the WWE ECW show or the Ring of Honor, and I chose Ring of Honor. Some people applaud, but 
you can definitely tell people are still turning against him. At this point, Shane talks about buzzing with adrenaline in his hotel room while he watched an early the Forever Hardcore DVD documentary. But this pant, the fans are just turned on him. They're chanting, we want Flair. They're wooing. Douglas at this point asks, is Ric Flair still alive? Uh, Shane then says, he went on the Ring of Honor website and saw Gabe Sapolsky say he wants to do ECW. That Ring of Honor is the new ECW. Shane says, what What did the fans say? He asks, Shane asks the fans, what do you guys say? The fans all boo Shane Douglas. Shane then at that point says, from what I've seen, Ring of Honor isn't worth the sweat on my balls. He starts putting himself over. He gets some more cheers when he starts putting himself over in kind of like regular promo mode. But he gets more boos and a loud fuck you Shane chant follows. Shane says we're less than 48 hours from him giving the fans what they wanted at a hardcore homecoming. And they treat him like this. They should be kissing his ass. Shane says the next time you need someone to save the sport, it isn't going to be Gabe Sapolsky. And don't look to the franchise for help. He says, Ring of Honor is the same as WWE, and everyone here is a fucking moron. The crowd la- launches into a loud don't come back chant. So this is an infamous promo. This is, um, we Matt, um, during the show we've covered, you know, things that did not make the official ROH DVDs, but were on the ROH Uncensored DVD, like Insane Clown Posse doing a match and getting turned on immediately. Conan doing a match and getting turned on immediately. Obviously, the one we did get to cover that was on a Ring of Honor show proper, Jeff Hardy coming on, and half the crowd being women that came just to the show screaming for him, and half the crowd resenting that women showed up at a Ring of Honor show and berating them and that and Jeff Hardy. Uh, this one is interesting because I remember this just as the crowd hating Shane Douglas immediately, but when rewatching it, it, this crowd was totally into Shane Douglas until very clearly he said, you know, I had a choice to go to the <laughs> one night stand or here and I chose here. And this crowd clearly knew that, you know, that was complete bullshit that ECW one night stand Shane Douglas and a bunch of the wrestlers who did um, hardcore homecoming were not allowed because they were TNA employees and WWE wasn't going to use them or uh, try and arrange to get permission to use them. And it, it's crazy because there was even after that, even when they turned on him, when he kind of rev- revved up into like Shane Douglas promo voice and was just like, you know, I'm the franchise. You would still hear some fans cheer him, but like he just kind of stuck with what he was going to do and you could see him get uncomfortable, kind of maybe even fumble with his words a little bit. And it's funny for a guy that was so known, you know, he was kind of, you know, one of his, his bread and butter was his promos. And he just handled this so poorly. And the crowd turned on him so completely. And he misread the room so badly. It is just, it is captivating, but also insanely uncomfortable. But I guess, Matt, before I throw it to you, Justin, as the guest, I should throw it to you. What do you feel about Shane Douglas? I mean, you're from Pittsburgh. He's, you know, this guy, he's your only hero. Um, what do you feel like live? Like, did you feel he was letting you down, Matt? You know, Sidney Crosby, (laughs) Shane Douglas, the two pillars of Pittsburgh. And here he is here, just completely losing the crowd. Yes. I think the lottery that let the Penguins draft Crosby would come just a month later. So Sid was not at the table when Shane and I were at Permani Brothers restaurant along the Monongahela River. Sid was just a kid still. (laughs) And you and him have the same birthday. Yes, we do. Unfortunately. It's depressing for me. (laughs) Um, So me and Shane were down there and we were like, hey, what's this big New York City thing getting on with the Ring of Honor? What's this promotion like? You want to like... (laughs) Justin, please, please, please talk like that the whole time. Oh, like... 
you and me hop in the car. We're going to drive down there to New York. I'm going to save Matt, and then you can do the show. And then we'll meet up at the venue. And uh, <laughs> so Shane comes out. I was like, oh, Shane, you're here. Good, good, good. We have a third seat. We've been waiting for you. And then Shane gets pissed. And I'm like, Shane, no, no, no. I'm doing that, like, cut off, cut off, cut off throat sign. It's not going well. It's not going well. Um, I was confused because the way this is laid out, Shane has a second appearance at the where it comes out again later spoilers for this podcast so it's like it's set up for him to heal on the crowd and then come out and like change his mind and be like oh i thought about it and ring of honor is actually tough and cool so i wonder if like he was supposed to pull the rug out from the crowd but they beat him to it and we're like shut up you're you're a liar (laughs) um so yes, I don't know if like uh, a naturally truthful person like Shane has explained this in a shoot interview. That seems like the kind of re- <laughs> research that you would have already done for us if it had happened. So I am quite confused. Um, I do have solidarity with everyone from Pittsburgh, um, myself and Dr. Baker, of course, uh, to the renowned pro wrestling minds. Uh, <laughs> let's. I um, I'm a natural empath, guys. So I wasn't. <laughs> Very uncomfortable during this because I thought it was a laughable thing, too, because it's like, it's so funny because he's saying it to us, the people there with him, like, because we're all cool. I came here instead of the rich place. And people are like, no, you didn't. That's so much better than here, <laughs> clearly, um, because like. He, not just because he was under a TNA contract did they not use him at One Night Stand, but also, I think, because he is Shane Douglas. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, there was a thing, like, right, Raven was also under a TNA contract, and I think they were like, well, Paul wants to make a deal to use Raven on One Night Stand. And, and Terry Funk, like, didn't do the first One Night Stand, and they did the, he came to the second one. The first one was like, I'm going to be loyal to the truth. But with Shane, it was like, yeah, man. Okay. <laughs> so, but based on the thing, like, thought it was supposed to call back to him. Well, that's later when he comes out with the pure title, where it's like he's going to throw down the pure title like he did famously. But instead, he embraces it and respects it. So I really don't know what the psychology here was. But not reading the ballroom that we were in, as you put it, is <laughs> is pretty much what went down there and it, then i come back four years later and i'm also very uncomfortable when jim Cornette makes a surprise appearance at that show and, <laughs> but it well from what i remember on then it was like most people were with him because he wasn't jim Cornette yet <laughs> and uh one single drunk man in the crowd was loudly catcalling his promo and saying shut the fuck up we want wrestling and i was again a natural empath being like i'm uncomfortable <laughs> but that was my experience um yeah and then so on the drive back with shane to pittsburgh after the show uh i think i left on monday and he <laughs> hopped in and i was like what happened man and he was like Oof, you know i'm quick on my feet but uh they caught the old franchise nap <laughs> Matt, before I give it to you, I do have a couple of notes, and maybe this will give you some more to bounce off. First off, um, PW Insider, they kind of wrote, like, they, they wrote at the time that Ring of Honor was, you know, this was part of the one of the selling points of them promoting the show, obviously, along with the, hey, if you're in town to see One Night Stand, you can see us in the afternoon first, and we're only a few blocks away, but... uh 
PW Insider wrote, Ring of Honor announced this evening that they have, quote, agreed and given Douglas the platform to speak on June 12th. Douglas says this will be a promo that every ECW fan needs to hear, which for, uh, reading this after I had rewatched the promo, I was like, oh boy. Um, then the PW Torch wrote, the reaction was a surprise as he was expected to be greeted with cheers since it was it was a, quote, feel-good weekend for ECW reunions. And again, I'll say, if you watch it, he was greeted with cheers until he said a really stupid, obviously <laughs> not true thing. He, I mean, for people that, I think people sometimes remember this as just another example of those smart mark fans turn on an old vet. But, like, no, they they gave him a chance. They liked him. He could have easily have gotten through this okay. But finally, Matt, before I throw it to you, going to what Justin said. And I want to get your opinion on this, Matt, because I don't even know if I believe this. But the Observer wrote, the idea with the Shane Douglas thing was to start as a face, say he's unimpressed with Ring of Honor, and then at the end, admit he was impressed. Um, so, I mean, they're saying that the idea always was for Douglas to kind of shit on Ring of Honor and then and at the end be like, you know, Ring of Honor is actually pretty cool, guys. But, like, I mean... Part of me that's cynical, and you know I can be cynical, is thinking that's just them trying to cover just how badly he got shit on. Like, well, it didn't turn out good, but that was kind of the plan was for the crowd. Because, I mean, let's let's say this. If it was the plan for him to turn on Ring of Honor, I mean, the crowd turns on him before he ever gets to the part of his promo that turns on Ring of Honor. So instead it just comes off as him like – going, well, if you're going to shit on me, I'll shit on Ring of Honor because he hasn't even gotten to that point where they're like – fuck you, you know, you, you're a liar, woo, Ric Flair. But, Matt, what did you think of this? Is, this is a, a crazy moment, probably the thing, unfortunately, that this show is most remembered for. Um, I I definitely thought that it was the plan, like, for him to turn on Ring of Honor. Like, that that was the sense that I got. Like, that, that was what, what the – like, I didn't – I mean – if it, if he really went on heel by himself, like I I don't know I don't think he would have done that like I because like, that's you know I don't think Gabe would have been like yeah just do whatever you want react to whatever the crowd does like I, I that just didn't seem like the way ROH ran like I think if the plan was for him to come out during after Samoa Joe's match compliment Samoa Joe all that stuff I think that was all true um, but obviously yeah what happened was the crowd just beat him to the punch like that's that's how I felt about it I, I will say this. I didn't think before – so you're right. I totally agree that the crowd turned on him when he made that comment about being invited to One Night Stand and choosing to come to ROH instead. And first of all, I don't know if you noticed, one guy in the crowd yelled, you could have done both. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, But um, but, um, I I don't think they were like so excited to have him out before that. Like I think they politely – applauded him but i don't think i don't remember anybody like i don't remember the reaction being like oh yes shane douglas we're so excited for him to be there um that said me personally i've never had any problem with shane douglas i thought he was you know good at times in ecw you know i thought he was a very important part of their time there yes after that his didn't do that much but i you know i liked his um you know i like some of the stuff he did in wcw you know i think that it's good wrestler and definitely became a good promo um so i have nothing against shane douglas i do i do think it's weird that um the crowd was so mad at him for that obvious lie when dusty Rhodes did the same lie the weekend of wrestlemania 20 when he was at roh i'm at elizabeth and he said vince mcmahon said come to wrestlemania and i was like no i'm going to roh which um you know i think that was the night of the hall of fame so probably that at least made a little bit of sense um 
Or maybe the Hall of Fame is on Friday. I don't even know. But um, like, I remember Dusty doing that, and the crowd just went along with it. Like, yeah! And and this crowd definitely didn't. And I don't know if that's because it was more plausible that Dusty would have invited to WrestleMania, or just because it's Dusty Rhodes, and we're not going to boo Dusty Rhodes ever for any reason. Um, I don't know which it was. But, you know, I, I definitely remember watching this and feeling like it was a bit of a... Um, a uh, a career enthusiasm type of vibe where it's just like you're cringing so hard because I don't know I never like it when the crowd just destroys somebody even when I do sort of agree with them and this time I I didn't feel as strongly as they did so I um so yeah I, I definitely did not enjoy watching the segment either then or now. Do you remember yeah. the cornet one? Not not I don't remember it going wrong, but I it, I no I. I'm literally thinking of one man, so that's why it's not really that comparable gotcha. other than my shared experience. Gotcha. But he was so loud because everyone else was listening to him. <laughs> he was from the future. <laughs> well, the, future, the, future, the, future also, the future is now, Justin. <laughs> wow, that's so confusing. That's really false advertising, because like, if the future was then... Why are we talking about it now? No, I think I think it's sort of like you have to like continually say it. Like the future uh, is now. No, no, no. Now, now, now. The future is now. The future is now. You know? <laughs> like, like that. This is a podcast that will repeatedly uh, and perpetually re-download in your player. So the future will always be when we're talking about it now. Right now, now. Um, yeah. If I mean, if I could break the tie, I have to think like it was. It was planned, and they beat him to the punch. It was, you know, like those Alexa Bliss interviews she would do when she was champion, where she'd be like, oh my god, it's my dream to win this title, and I'm so honored to be here in front of all of you, because I'm so happy to tell you that you suck. (laughs) And so I think Shane is supposed to come out and be like, you're the coolest fans, and this is a good wrestling thing not and then we all go no how dare you but um we got him nice try (laughs) you can't french fries us (laughs) so uh next up would be homicide with julia smokes defeating james gibson via pinfall in 21 minutes 13 seconds after he hits a low blow and then a lariat uh, Matt, uh, first time meeting for these two, at least in Ring of Honor, I believe. Uh, hopefully my memory is at least that good. Uh, what do you think about this two of the big names for this year in Ring of Honor? Um, well, Confederate flag in New York City and Confederate trunks, both this time. He's got the double whammy, and the crowd did not seem to mind. But Homicide did have a Puerto Rican flag, and he was supposed to be the heel somehow. Um I I don't I don't get it, but um, and isn't that so confusing? Because Nidia is from Puerto Rico. Yeah, the, the the Confederate flag, man. I'm just another thing. I'm just not going to get used to seeing at this point. Well, <laughs> speaking well of your native New York, but did you notice at one point though where uh, there was a point in the match where Smokes grabbed the flag and he tried the Confederate flag and he tried to cool off Homicide with it, and you could hear some fans at that point chant "Burn that shit." And I thought. Finally, a Ring of Honor crowd that is not into the Confederate flag. <laughs> I, I, I missed that, actually, but I want to go back and watch it now. because There is a burn that shit chat briefly for that make, moment. Makes me proud. Um, yep. But yeah, um, yeah, um, wrestling's weird that that was <laughs> acceptable. Um, but you yeah. today get so many like culture war segments out of like, and these fans <laughs> cheered the burning of the Confederate flag or tried to get it to happen. That's not good. <laughs> 
Justin, after your after your um, Palestine stuff, we're we're just we're not even going to politics with you. You're- I never said Palestine. It's talking about the wrestler Israel. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, that reminds me of the story that just sorry that just came after the New Jack's death, where they were saying that New Jack during the Smoky Mountain days, like he did, a, he, he before one show, like Tracy Smothers, apparently, because again, this is a different time, apparently, in you know the crazy days of the 1990s, where uh, Tracy Smothers was selling Confederate flags before his shows, and then one day New Jack takes says like, "Can I have one of these for the show?" And he like during the show rubs his ass on it and all that stuff, and then they end up selling. Tracy Smothers ended up selling apparently a ton of Confederate flags to the point where he cut a deal with New Jack to like do that every night and they just sold a ton of Confederate flags. So, that, you know, it's great how wrestling brings people together, you know, to <laughs> sell Confederate flags. Okay. <laughs> okay. That's the first I heard that story and it's very uncomfortable. Um, um, but I mean, that's the crazy thing about wrestling. It's a yeah. black man and a white man working together to fool the fans into buying a celebration of hate and splitting the proceeds. That that is the most pro wrestling story in, maybe in history. I cannot deny that you are correct about this. Um, as far as the match, um, so if you remember from the previous show, Gibson was like, after I lost the title matches twice, you know, it's going to be no more Mr. Nice Guy. So the whole idea of this match was that he was going to get more aggressive. And I got to say that as far as the match itself, um, like, the aggressiveness was pretty mellow. Like, he did a lot of, like, choking against the ropes, but it wasn't like it was a super hard hitting. He did most of his regular wrestling stuff. It was really after the match that this that he sort of pulled out this, like, Gibson snapped sort of thing. But the match itself was very slow. Um, in my opinion, too slow. Um, like, it was... Um, it was just, like, it just never really got into any sort of special gear. I mean, these are, like you said, two of the best wrestlers in the in the company. Um, and they just... They just the match was just continued at this very slow pace the whole time. The last few minutes were pretty good. You know, they got into more near falls and stuff, you know, things. But, like, it was really late in the match when I felt that it picked up. The execution was good. I wouldn't say this was – and I'd say this was a good match. Um, like, three stars, three and a quarter stars maybe. But, like, these two wrestlers are great. And I would say this might have ended up being, to me, one of Gibson's most disappointing matches in the company just because it was so much less entertaining than it could have been. Like, there was nothing wrong with any of the execution. You know, Gibson's execution is always great. But I, um, you know, I just didn't feel like it was ever got exciting. Um, But, um, you know, there were dueling chants at certain points. You know, the crowd wasn't wasn't quiet for the whole thing. They weren't as loud as they were for some of the previous matches, though. Um, I um, But a couple of other things I noticed. At one point early in the match, um, Punk said that Gibson was from the part of the South where they teach kids at, at school that the South won the war. And I was like, well, at least someone is acknowledging this whole weirdness about the uh-huh. Confederate flag. But then also at one point, Prazak refers to it as the, quote, rebel flag, which is, um, I, I feel like... a. Well, I don't want it. I don't know. It's just it's the Confederate flag. Um, but they were definitely rebelling against something. Maybe we should just mention what. It was. Well, well, no. Like, in the, I mean, not in a the, good thing. In the South, that is like what a lot of people call it, 
right? So I don't want to insult yeah. our Southern listeners, um, but, you know, I don't feel too bad insulting the Confederate flag. Um, yeah. Hate me, if you will. Um, but Look, we're uh, only going to get killed by Israel and Palestine, so. All right. Let's we just, let's just stop so talking about that at all. <laughs> <laughs> I misspoke. When I referred to the PLO, I meant LOP, the wrestling aggregator site <laughs> Lords of Pain. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna die. Well, Honestly, we're gonna. Well, we're gonna. I, I feel you. You don't have to worry about us getting killed, Trevor. But we will be canceled. Um, and that's worse. Self-loathing Jews. Um, so there was a USA chant at one point, and I was wondering who that was targeted <laughs> at, because um, West Virginia is America, message. and Puerto Rico mm-hmm. is also America. So what is uh, what is uh, this USA chant? toward i don't know but anyway that's my thought of the match uh justin before i get your thoughts i just want to clear up um just in a matter both jewish i'm not so if it, you're gonna hurt anyone hurt me because i laughed and i don't have a right to laugh oh, at it God. so i'll take all I'll, I'll be I'll, I'll take all the blame here so uh justin what'd you think about the match? i i don't don't like where any of this is going <laughs> I'll be nice and normal. Um, that guy was so scary. <laughs> I, I, yeah, well, I was going to say something. Never mind. Go yes, ahead. please. <laughs> no. I was trying to be nice and good. Be, be, being being Jewish and, and Israel are not the same thing, and I don't want that. To, anyway. But, yeah, I don't know. No, no you're, you're right. I don't want to conflate the two or anything like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, you weren't. That's just a larger thing where it's like, why don't they all go there where they will be happy? Uh... <laughs> Yeah, We're having our own really, Shane Douglas promo moment. <laughs> I mean, he sure did dive in the crowd. Um, he gave him a warning. He said, you better move. But that is one of my five indelible memories of the show when it was just as scary watching it again. Because I was like, Matt, can he do that? Can he jump on us? <laughs> I didn't want to fight any of the wrestlers. And I can't catch him. I'm not strong. Yeah. Did I- you like the match, Justin? <laughs> <laughs> Um, like, I'm fairly numb based on watching Dynamite every week and the way, like, people can kind of have a four-star match in their sleep now just by doing the big moves and kicking out of them that nothing really moves me anymore. Um, but, so, everything on this show, I was like, that was nice, it was fun to see this man back then, but it was especially strange for Noble Gibson, who is in this, like, weird little interregnum period he was kind of used okay at times in his wwe runs but when they bookend this thing where he was like treated as a world title level guy i made me kind of like feel bad for him but you know sure he went he went back fairly soon i think by the end of this well i will summer i will say this his run in roh was like fantastic like the stuff of Mm -hmm. legends like like he was great in roh and had lots of great lots of really great matches and this to my opinion wasn't one of them Mm -hmm. but that's about it do the people dive in the crowd like that a lot it seems like so dangerous it feels like lately they've been doing it more wouldn't you say that like uh, even the show we just covered had a a a a match between Alex Shelley and Roderick Strong, where Alex Shelley threw Roderick Strong, I believe, four times in the front row, and each time he didn't like even tell the fans to get out of the way; like he just tossed them in. There's plenty of diving into the crowd in ROH for sure, and um, mm-hmm. once Danielson becomes champion, it becomes one of his signature spots. <laughs> but I feel like in the earlier days there was more 
like move out of the way. And Homicide, to be fair, like Justin mentions, he does tell the fans to move out of the way like three times. He's like, look, move out of the way. I'm going to do this move. The problem is the 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 supper club. There was like nowhere to move. Yeah, exactly. I think that's the problem. What's the liability of like, it's not SeaWorld where they say you will get wet. (laughs) Like there was nothing that anyone told me at the time. Like one of the high caliber athletes might just jump on you. Like, no, that would hurt. I know one time in Rainbow, I think a girl got hurt by like a ricocheting chair or something. And they made as the make good. They, they knew she liked Jack Evans. So they sent Jack Evans uh-huh. to like talk to her, hang out. I was just thinking, let's say you did get hurt by homicide. Like Matt and Justin, like would, is there a wrestler on this show this night? That would have been a good make good. Like, Oh, if this guy Colt Cabana is going to hang out with you for 15 minutes. And well, <laughs> will that make it you not sue us? Like, would that be, would that have worked out? Shane Douglas. <laughs> <laughs> He's gonna have the most uncomfortable conversation, but uh, um, Matt, it's, it's I, I stood agree. in great oh. contrast to. Sorry, um, no, like I, I watched this. I think just two days after Darby Allen just got thrown into the crowd, but then he like threw him onto Darby Allen's family, so that's okay. That yeah, they should had, be the rule. Had, yeah, because I, I think that I remember people were like, why are they still wrestlers in the front row when, when they had a crowd back? And then, like, finally halfway the show, like, oh, that's why, like, to catch him. But uh, they, they were not going to do the Ring of Honor, just hope that fans <laughs> would, would save his life. But, um, uh, Matt, I completely agree about this match. I feel like, you know, just like you, I thought James Gibson has been great in Ring of Honor in 2005, but I feel like I've had a couple of matches lately, James Gibson matches, I haven't liked quite as much as you, and I thought, oh, God, is this going to be a third? But we are, like, right simpatico on this one. I would say probably three and a quarter stars, just like you. Um, Yeah, it's just slow, and it it has a long feeling out process, and it's one of those matches I've noticed, and I love Homicide, but he has had a few matches like this where – when things are going to kick into a higher gear, he then slows it right back down again occasionally. For some reason, occasionally in the matches, he will do that. And, like, this match, it's not like they were holding back because they they did do a couple crazy moves. Like, they had the big ace crusher on the ring apron, they, which actually looked really good. They had, you know, and the homicide doing an insane tope con hilo into the crowd. But yet then every time we felt like, oh, this match is going to start getting, you know, really crazy or fast-paced and kick it up, like, they would slow it right back down again. But I did like some stuff. I did like the dueling network, which makes sense because both of these guys have offense that focuses on the neck. And I liked late in the match, you know, early on, um, Homicide hurts his neck. And I like that even the, he hurts his neck doing a superplex. And that's rare that a wrestler starts selling an injury from a move they do. And what I really liked about that is I know Homicide, like there was times Homicide didn't always love like – Chili smokes as a match. Obviously, I think he liked him, but like it wasn't his idea. And when he's trying to sell the neck right when he does the superplex, for anyone that watches this, like Julie Smokes is just being full Julie Smokes mode. And you can see Julie Smoke, I mean Homicide in like a really genuine Shut way to like, yeah, be like, Shut up for a second. Like just yes. please. Yeah, and, and, and actually like that's something I forgot to mention. I'm sorry. Um go this on, was go this on. was the first time I really saw much Julia Smokes. Um and I found him extremely annoying the first time I saw him. By the second time, I liked him, but he was particularly annoying during this match. And it, it was it was um, it was validating to see that Homicide seemed to think so too. 
like like Julius Smokes is a great character, but if there is a flaw, like sometimes he can be completely overbearing and take away from a match. And sometimes you want him to have the focus, but like here, clearly Homicide was like probably thinking, this is the moment of the match where I start selling an injury. I really want this to be important. And Smokes is just completely taking the focus and I, it looks like Homicide's just like, come on, like please, just for a second, shut up. And um I'm I like so the- relieved to hear this because I didn't even bring it up. I thought it I didn't know if it was like slander to say that he's no, super annoying. So, that's but he's really... he's not. He's definitely not always. Like he's he's a really uh, okay. good character and adds to things. This was a particularly not effective night for him. Got yeah, um, I did like his shirt though. Yeah, what did that say? <laughs> so it was a, first of all, it was a dropkick Murphy shirt, and I I don't know if this is just yeah, one of their shirts weird. or he had it modified. But the back said "fuck like a beast." Yep, <laughs> I wanted to make you say it. <laughs> <laughs> so people could use that as a drop. <laughs> definitely not one. Of, definitely not one of the most offensive things said on this show. <laughs> so I want um, people to make that one of the cool drops. Is Matt saying "fuck like a beast?" Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> question mark. It's the question mark that sells it. Um, I, I dug late in the match too. Where after all the neck work, where um, Homicide when he went for another superplex, he did a double arm superplex, superplex instead of a regular superplex. And Punk actually on commentary did a very smart thing where he's like, maybe Homicide switched to that so he wouldn't hurt his neck again, like on the first one. And I thought there were some cool moves. Like I think Gibson did like a picture perfect Tiger Driver, and it got one of the like hottest near falls probably of the the year so far. Like crowd was really into that near fall. Um, and Matt, just like you, I really thought a big flaw in this match was, you know, the story of this was supposed to be Gibson with a new harder edge and he's not going to play to the fans anymore after this promo on the last show. And it's supposed to play to the finish where, you know, he's choking homicide on the ropes and he shoves the ref away and that shoving the ref away gives homicide just the distraction he needs to hit him in the nuts and get the lariat, except like. Like you said, Gibson wrestled most of this match just like he always would, very straight and respectful. And he just did a couple choking on the rope spots. So to see him all of a sudden like shove the ref away and, and like trying to sell it, like it it seemed like they didn't do a good he didn't do a good enough job really being consistent selling that story. But I, I, I still thought overall, like again, three and a quarter star match, and like you said, a good match is disappointing for these two because they're so they're so great that just kinda good it wasn't good enough. But Still, good match. Um, after the match, Gibson attacks Homicide until Julius Smokes makes the save with a back rake and then some punches. And even then, a pile driver from Julius Smokes. Uh, Homicide sets up a table in the ring, but then Jay Lethal's music hits. Jay comes out in his neck brace. He's clutching his neck in pain, but he still manages to attack Smokes and Homicide. He puts Homicide on the table takes off his neck brace, hits it with a top rope splash through the table, low-key and monster Mac, and then someone else I don't recognize then quickly run in. Lethal escapes to the crowd. Matt, I don't know who that third unnamed Rottweiler was, but because Ring of Honor seems to never mention monster Mac or anyone else that shows up with the uh, Rottweiler posse on these kind of New York shows, I don't know who it is. I will have some... There's some other masked men that come out later that apparently I will have information on their identity, but... At that point, it's intermission. Gary Michael Capetta is backstage with Dunn and Marcos, who was just covered in dried blood. Uh, Marcos says, it's going to take a lot more than a little blood to keep them down. And if the car crew want to keep this going, they know where to find them, taking down the ring like they always do. So, If you they were, if they were so really much- sitting there for that length until intermission with that blood <laughs> all over them, that's freaking disgusting. Yeah. 
Remember, they, they, Cody, they could have washed off, and they just chose not to for this promo that no one will remember. Cody, after the match with his brother, left his crimson mask of blood on for a very long time, and he said something very, like, fetishy about it. Like, sometimes it just feels good. <laughs> hey, you, know uh, what? Hey, you know what? Fair enough. <laughs> I don't even like when I have crusty blood in my nose from a nosebleed, let alone caking on caked on my face but Trevor, uh I, Trevor, Trevor, Trevor I like it when you do Trevor <laughs> gigged on a podcast we were doing and he immediately panicked and stopped the show <laughs> yes uh, there's there's an episode of a five-star match game where I scratch a bug bite and it will not stop bleeding during the show and I make sure that everyone knows that but um Next up, we have CM Punk defeating Roderick Strong via submission in 24 minutes, 5 seconds, when he made Strong tap out to the Anaconda Vice. Um, Justin, you got to see a late indie run CM Punk match. You got to see the man. You got you got to be one of those people that could say, man, I saw CM Punk before he was cool. <laughs> you always get some credit there. You get, get got some cool little indie cred there. Literal indie cred. Uh, what did you think about CM Punk live? The punk, This was definitely... You got to see Punk when he was beloved. Like at this moment, this was, I believe, like we, Matt and I have been covering on recent shows, like how fans started to feel. I feel like with the last couple shows, fans started to realize that maybe Punk was going to leave. This was the show where fans definitely felt like you could tell watching it, like the crowd reaction and just everything. Clap, that clap, they, clap, clap. Well, he, he had, it had already been announced, right? Like it was already reported that he had signed, right? Well, that, like that Ian Rotten thing he said on the IWA Mid-South show the day before, he basically said, like, Punk's going to be gone in a week. And so this crowd definitely was treating this like, this is probably the last time we're ever going to see this guy, like, in an, not in WWE. But, uh, Justin, what did you think about all of this? Yes. Um, I think even on the 2002 show, it's one of the only two times I get to feel very smart about seeing a wrestler in, on an indie show and thinking he was good. Um, being like, hey, this guy, I'm an astute talent guy like Mark Henry. Sign me to recruit people for you. Justin, uh, disco- was- Justin discovered CM Punk. Exactly. <laughs> 2002, a nascent CM Punk. And then also uh, when we went to the 2009 show, I was like, Matt, the Young Bucks are doing good match. And he was like, I know. And I was like, but... <laughs> They were wrestling, I think, Cesaro, maybe. No, it, but, was the, um, it, was, it was the Briscoes, as a matter of fact. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but Cesaro was on that show, I think. Yes. Anyway, um, but yeah, I was like, Matt, they're doing fast moves, kicking out, double team. And he was like, I know, they're wrestlers. They've been wrestlers for a while. And I was like, but I'm stupid. <laughs> um, That's Justin's catchphrase. <laughs> but I am stupid. <laughs> um, as a DVD presentation, I didn't know how much sense it made that like CM Punk does commentary for the entire show, leaves for an intermission, I guess, to change and briefly stretch, comes out, wrestles a match, goes back, showers, comes out and does more commentary. Shouldn't it, he be preparing? It's even weirder when he does it like right before a grudge match, like a real serious grudge match, and he's making jokes on the show, and then he's like, <laughs> then he comes out for his match, and he's just like so incredibly intense, like that. That's weirder, but. So, yeah. but, but otherwise, we're used to it. Yes. Um, my in-ring observations uh, seems to me like Roderick Strong targets the back. Uh, <laughs> um, what else? That's largely what I have to say about the match. It was fun to see these guys in that context. That's pretty much my only observation for the entire show. Um, 
And then a question to the boys is Tony Khan being a guy who loves to uh, pony up the big bucks for any song. Is he a nerd who thinks he should, he would pay for this song for CM Punk or would he go all the way and pay for uh, cult of personality? I feel like he should he should do both. Like he should usually he should usually come out to cult of personality, but like like when like there's like the like the big match punk or like the demon punk or you know, <laughs> you know then he puts out Misaria Cantare and and by the way Trevor DM punk. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's just Twitter. Yeah. And by the way, Trevor, um this even though I saw a few CM Punk matches on in ROH after this, you know, uh, during the summer of punk, this is the only time I ever got to see him enter to this music. Wow. That's right. And that's, you know, that was a really, you know, iconic music for him. Even Great though people, entrance, you yeah. Know, yeah. Matt and I weren't close enough to the barricade to slap it. I'm sorry to <laughs> Yeah, to slap each other. <laughs> I want to slap Justin right now. <laughs> so... I, I I really like this match. I thought it was very good, like three and three quarter stars. I put it right below great. But um, I, I feel like this is a match that the more exciting it got, the less story it got. Because at first it was very keeping to a story where I think it, the very first third of the match, it, it's uh, kind of a classic punk story. Like punk is really good. We've learned from the Samoa Joe trilogy of doing a very simple, basic story where he kind of is doggedly going after something. So first eight minutes of this match, he's just going after um, Roderick's arms and he like won't let go. You'll go after it. And he's avoiding, he avoids every chop. Like, in fact, I ta- like uh, strong does not hit it successfully hit a chop until eight minutes into the match. And I really like that. Cause when you constantly try and avoid someone's move, it makes the move come off as really important and scary that you're working so hard to avoid it. What I didn't like was then at that point, once strong finally chops punk, they do a lot of chopping back and forth and like, Punk gives as good as he gets with the chops. Like, in fact, I think he wins a couple of the exchanges. And he, I don't know if he ever really loses a chop exchange with Strong. I felt like when you're working so hard to avoid it, and I'm like at this point, Strong's two things were I'm the guy who chops hard and I'm the guy who does all the backbreakers. And so having Punk basically like match him chop for chop when that isn't Punk's thing, I was kind of like, you did such a good job avoiding it. You maybe you shouldn't. You should just let him beat you up with chops and not like go chop for chop for him with him. And likewise, I felt like as the match, you know, it was getting more exciting. They were doing more near falls, but they kind of completely forgot about the arm stuff that, you know, punk worked so hard at, at first. And then by the last half of the match, like they're just going into much more of the traditional indie, your move, my move, let's try and make this exciting. And it was, but I do feel like there was a great match here. If they managed to tie everything in the start into the exciting part at the end, but they really didn't, but I still thought it was a really fun match. Lots of neat things like punk holds onto a a wrist lock, even though strong monkey flips him, he still holds onto the wrist lock. Um, I like though there's a moment where Strong does like a pump handle where Punk's arm is between his own legs and he uses that to basically make Punk low blow himself, which I thought was funny. Um, there was, uh, you know, this was also a match I noticed where you could tell this was probably right around Punk started really watching his Kanta DVDs because he started throwing a lot of kicks I noticed in this match. And obviously we weren't that far away from go to sleep era CM Punk. So he was probably getting into Kenta around this time. Um, there was a cool moment where Punk goes with the Shining Wizard and uh, Strong just turns it into a powerbomb backbreaker, which was really cool. But Matt, before I give it to you, 
couple moments on commentary that I thought were funny. Uh, first off, um, Gabe says Punk's going to be a very a rich man very soon. Like Gabe's outright acknowledging that Punk's probably gone to WWE soon or somewhere at least. He, and he outright says Ring of Honor can't compete with the big companies like WWE for money. And then um, he says, trying to put over you know the storyline, which is, yeah, Punk may be leaving, but his last goal is to win the Ring of Honor world title. Gabe says at one point, if Punk never won the Ring of Honor world title, it would eat at him. If you got to one day do something really big, like, you know, like beat Triple H in the main event of WrestleMania in Chicago. And I thought the idea of, like, him trying to say, like, the, the Punk's ideal thing in WWE would be to wrestle Triple H at WrestleMania. <laughs> I was like, oh, man, you you got it right and you got it wrong at the same time here. But um, Matt, what did you think about this? Um, I, yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was a really, really, really good match. Like, um, in fact, I might go as far as to say, and I know, like, you know, there's no way to, like, just jump at this right off of memory, but in my estimation, this might have been the best, like, straight, like, outside of the, the Joe matches. This might have been CM Punk's best straight singles match in ROH. Like, non-gimmick, you know? Um, obviously, the Joe matches were all much better, but, um, like, I can't think of another singles match he had that was just, like, a match. Like, a wrestling match with somebody that was better than this. I think, like you mentioned, he's you know, he's starting to do more of that kick stuff. You know, we're noticing that now. Um, but also, like, he's just, like, this is a moment where, you know, he's got into great shape. He's gotten much smoother athletically by this point. And, you know, it's actually very stark to watch the uh, the um, the evolution of him. Because obviously he was always a good wrestler, but a lot of that was his, you know, mental ability to put together a really good match. He also was known for maybe being a little bit, you know, less mechanically... Um, smooth as some, you know, some more natural athletic types. And I feel like if, you know, by this era in 2005, you wouldn't necessarily know that he was ever less mechanically smooth than other more athletic types. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because what's the line to famously dog him? It's like he can't have a great match. He can only simulate having a great match. Yeah, which was always the, yeah, that was very early on. I think when he got into the main roster, it was like, yeah, like, oh, the smart, you know, it was one of those eras when, when the indie darling came up, they had to instantly say, well, he actually isn't a good wrestler, even though mm-hmm. the fans are reacting to them and everyone likes their matches. Yeah, and it was like, yeah, it was literally, yeah, he just simulates good wrestling. He doesn't, act, he isn't actually a good wrestler, which is insane. It's insane to think if you simulate good wrestling, like that is wrestling. It, <laughs> Unlike it's actually real. wrestling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but like, I also noted that the, you know, I, I wrote like, why is punk going toe to toe with strong when it comes to chops? You know, when that's like one of strong's dominant moves. Um, but I did like that when they were chopping each other at one point, they were yelling, give up. No, you give up. Like while they were chopping, like I thought that was fun. Um, and, you know, and I and I do like that, you know, I like the storyline that this is Punk's ultimate goal to win that title before he leaves the Indies. Like, that's his that's his one thing that he never did. Um, he also never won the pure title, if we're really being technical about it. But, um, <laughs> um, and that's Strong is, you know, the, quote, policeman standing in the way. But did you notice that really Strong played this, plays this match totally straight, too? He's not really, like doing anything dirty to try to cripple punk he's just having a match with him right yeah. and like so that's another reason where i'm like are they just baby faces now um um but yeah the mat the match is really good like the, just the execution is so good i think punk is easily the most over person on this whole show and so the crowd is really into it 
um, which always helps. And you know, I thought the finish was a little too sudden for me. Like you know, um, you know, Strong does does get the low blow, but it's like it's a low blow that doesn't seem as bad because he like he pulls um, he he goes through Punk's legs and pulls Punk's own arm into him. You know, it doesn't yeah. seem quite as as uh, evil, but and then but then Punk avoids the, the pump handle um, and hits the Shining Wizard, and then pops right into the Anaconda Vice and the tap out is like immediate. You know, I, I'm, that was a little too sudden for me, but you know, I, I thought it was entertaining and well executed. Like I, I, yeah, I didn't, I didn't really mind the, the lack of arm work as much um, in the sense of, um, you know, that's just kind of what they do at the beginning of matches. They work on a body part and then they just, they move on. Like, and it didn't, it didn't seem as egregious to me as it is in some matches, but you know, I mean, I didn't think this was like a match of the year or anything, but I thought this was a, a really, a really good match. Like a, a match that, you know, if someone, if they, if they put this, ever, if they ever put this match up on YouTube, I would say, check it out. Like it's, it's, it doesn't feel as long as it is and it's quite good. The other your, commentary, uh, oh, go on. Sorry. Um, yeah, no, no your, problem. both your observations stirred up some memories for me, um, is that while watching this, I learned from your podcast, if Punk calls out for the Pepsi plunge, he's not going to do it. And that happened. <laughs> Um, that's exactly right thanks for the years um and yeah i agree i thought the chops were unusually nasty for not what i was used to seeing mr punk do and you know like a a thought comes into your head and you don't want to do it and then it's the only thing you can think about because you try not to think about it (laughs) so when they started doing those chops i started thinking (sighs) Strong is a little tough man in long tights who works with like a dynamic, aggressive snap to his moves. And they started chopping each other. And I started pretending, even though I didn't want to, I was like, what if this is the match that Punk had with Benoit at the show two years later that Benoit no-showed because he was dead or whatever? And then I started watching it as if it was Punk versus Benoit. And I was like, stop thinking this. Uh, Justin, yeah, what has gotten into you? So, but no, I didn't want to. But the the flight of fancy occurred to me once, and then I was like, "Stop pretending this is happening." But it was so weird that I couldn't stop. Uh, and then what you said about the commentary was funny. Um, the Triple H thing, which is funny because he was going to have a main event or you know one of the five main events of WrestleMania 30 against Triple H. It wasn't in Chicago. Um, saying that would meet, not mean as much as the ROH title reminded me of when Tommy Dreamer would be in the Royal Rumble and Joey Styles would be like, if Tommy won the Royal Rumble, he would probably challenge for the ECW title. And you'd think, that's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there was, and, another, there was another thing also. Oh, you know, you're, you're still going, Justin, sorry. Finally, it would just be part of the commentary of Punk as the desired free agent and like the love of the game versus the we can't compete with that was like, WWE, that's the difference of hundreds of millions versus a couple thousand dollars is a direct comparison that was made. I was like, wow, that's, you know, it'd be really hard to turn down those two deals in comparison to one another. Yeah, I I couldn't figure that out. I'm so glad you brought that up because I didn't write that down, but I couldn't figure that out because, yeah, Gabe says WWE to Ring of Honor is a couple hundred million to a couple thousand dollars. And I thought, 
well, that can't be contracts, but that also, <laughs> I, Ring of Honor, that can't be revenue either. <laughs> $2,000. Like, I'm sure the tickets, the, they're selling more DVDs than that. It was like $200 million to $2,000. <laughs> That's the comparison. Yep. I don't know I what. Like, how do I make this scale? Is in like per month? Per like, when is Punk signing his couple hundred million dollar contract? Or when do you make? Do you, does your company just make a couple thousand bucks? So cool. Go ahead, Matt. Thank you. I was I was going to note one other thing. A guy in the crowd yelling to Punk, "See you on Velocity." And Punk mm-hmm. just goes, "Yes, you will, because you will be watching." And then he <laughs> then he kicks strong. And I thought like that was just that's just awesome. I also thought that's very confident of Punk, like that that guy's going to be watching Velocity. Well, that was the point. He's a dork. That was the joke. (laughs) Reading reading the Cubs fans recaps of Velocity. (laughs) Yes, and you'll probably get into this in his actual interview, which I guess I'm preempting. But I thought with the regard to the Velocity guy and the people heckling him, it's very funny the way he puts it in the interview which is like you guys pay your money and you're allowed to say whatever you want so i'm not gonna call you out i'm not gonna single you out or insult you and then he proceeded to do exactly that <laughs> yeah yeah so that leads into the uh post-match thing i i guess one the one thing we should mention about the match that leads into that is the crowd reaction is a big part of this match because we're getting the big you, you know we know you're leaving and we're gonna miss you crowd reaction right from the start where Punk is, you know, Punk usually always has some haters in every crowd, but other than a few fans, this is a pretty overwhelmingly we love you, Punk crowd. There's, you know, please don't go chance early. There's a few fans that are chanting for Strong, and there are a few people that are chanting sucks after people chant for Punk. But overall, very high. But but Punk, you know, this is CM Punk in a nutshell. He singles out those three fans during the match and makes sure to call as much attention to them as possible, even though it probably is the only three fans in the crowd that are negative. He he at one point Punk just points to them and goes, You've got three fans, Roddy. And he does the velocity he he goes to the velocity heckler and I will say that the fans um were apparently mad at the heckler too, because at one point i think they're you can they're even like chant at the fan at the heckler like shut the fuck up like they they want the guy to stop being a, a heckler but um anyway so after the match the crowd again chants please don't go for punk and end up giving him a big standing ovation that people actually get to their feet they fall by a thun- thank you punk chant uh punk shakes roderick's hand and then Punk says a bunch of stuff to Punk to Strong that like it's not on my you, but you can tell he's like saying a bunch of things because he's just talking and talking to Strong's ear. He, and Strong then pats him on the back. Uh, Punk gets on his knees. He kisses the Ring of Honor logo in the center of the ring, which I wrote is the bravest spot of his wrestling career. Uh, <laughs> Punk is that straight edge? <laughs> um, Punk grabs the mic and he first asks, where are the three guys in the crowd? Like Justin said, the hate is guts. Punk wants everyone to sit down except those three. Punk says he respects the, them because they pay to come here and to say whatever they like, but they're not the ones with the microphone. Punk says he's not here to single out or insult them because they want that. Punk says, simply put, those three fans put their money in Punk's pocket and his face on their t-shirts. He says, I'm an asshole and I'm the first to admit it. But I'm also the first to put everyone else before myself, except this one time. He tells Roderick that he knows Ares sent him to cripple Punk, that Ares wants nothing more than to hold on to the Ring of Honor world title. But Ares doesn't have Punk's animalistic mentality. Punk describes himself as part animal, part machine, and says regardless of who he works for, come the Sunday morning after the next show, he'll be the Ring of Honor world heavyweight champion, because that's the last thing he has to accomplish in independent wrestling. 
Punk says those three fans have doubted him from day one, but he feeds off that doubt. It drives him. It makes him what he is, which is better than those guys. So he basically says, I'm better than you. He, he basically invents MGF, MJF here. Um, <laughs> well, that, that, that was, that's been Punk's catchphrase for a long time, though. Yeah, the, I'm be- straight edge yeah, means I'm better than you. Yeah, me, this is more condensed just to literally I'm better than you. But yeah, you're right. Because uh, he started Strong- in the middle of matches, he would go better in the world, and then eventually upgraded the best as he got better, <laughs> better than most. Uh, <laughs> Punk tells Strong to tell Aries that he has a week to sleep with that belt and do whatever he wants to it. <laughs> because in New Jersey, which Punk then sarcastically says, my favorite city, New Jersey, because for those who don't know, that's always one of the main markets in Ring of Honor that seems to, no matter whether he was a face or heel, really had the highest percentage of people that shit on CM Punk. And also were um, like, would be like the quietest for his matches. Yeah, so, which I wonder if they specifically timed the world title change, knowing that the heel turn was coming right after for New Jersey, with that in mind, knowing that would be the t- city most likely to maybe shit on Punk. But um, Punk says, you know, I'm coming home. I'm coming home with the one thing that's eluded me all this time, the Ring of Honor championship belt. And he ends by asking the fans to chant for the future of the company, chant for Roderick Strong. He leaves the ring. The crowd does, in fact, give Roderick a big chant, followed by a big generic Ring of Honor chant. Punk screams, yeah, you're goddamn right, Ring of Honor. And I thought this was a very good live promo, but the thing I also thought noticed was this promo kind of, I think, sums up Punk to a T, his psychology of, like, his real-life psychology, because, Matt, we've seen a lot of matches where, um, you know, most of the crowd likes Punk, but there's a few fans that maybe aren't, aren't liking him. And there's so many matches where Punk will, like, focus on those fans, whether he just tells them, like, he acknowledges them or he really focuses on them, to the point where, like, there are probably a bunch of punk matches where, like, no one would have noticed if he just ignored those fans, but he ends up, like, bringing so much attention to them because he just has to. And I feel like all that stuff punk talks about in this promo where he's like, you know, you know, the three people heckling me is, like, what drives me. I feel like that probably is punk. Like, punk is the probably the kind of guy I feel like where... A thousand people in a room could be telling him he's great, and he'll focus on the one person in the room that doesn't like him. And that just seems to be for better and for worse, like who CM Punk is maybe as a real human being. And uh, But I thought this was a really good promo. It had a really cool energy, and it really hyped you up for the uh, for the final quote-unquote match of his on the next show. But what did you think? Well, I remember one thing at the end of this promo. Justin, do you remember the words you said to me right at the end as Punk walked away? something great i'm sure well you i think you were trying to channel dave Meltzer, but you Uh said you said just quote that was a hell of a deal (laughs) yes okay and i mean i was being sincere but i was also joking about dave's phraseology yes that's that's how i took it and Mm -hmm. but no but that's what i would say this was a hell of a deal yeah, I mean, he basically, you know, rarely, you know, Ring of Honor didn't do a lot of in lengthy in ring promos, and this is one where not only was it really good, but Punk really had the crowd, I think, in the palm of his hand. And even though it is kind of weird that he made one of his final promos basically about three hecklers <laughs> out of a crowd that loved him, like you I said, mean, though, that's him, man. Yeah, yeah, that 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 is him. Um, I feel so, blessed because technically, this it was not his farewell promo it was his final babyface promo yeah exactly yes so it had all the trappings of one because it was supposed to be uh i get yeah and like you said it, it pretty much is so i saw that where he's like well i'm going to wwe i'm gonna do good 
and he did. And then I come <laughs> back and see Danielson, and he's like, I'm going to go kick John Cena's fucking head in. And I'm <laughs> like, well, that's a beautiful dream, sir. Good luck. And he did. <laughs> so congratulations to the two Wonder Twins. They damn did it. <laughs> and next up, we have the Ring of Honor pure title match, the semi-made event. Samoa Joe defeated Nigel Beginnis, 19 minutes, 39 seconds with the... God, I forgot to write down the finish. This was the it muscle, was the muscle buster. buster. Yes, yeah, right. Yes. Um, so via pinfall, of course. Uh, I thought this was on the border of good and very good. This is probably like three and a half, three and three quarter stars. I like this match a fair bit. I, I like this was a match where it wasn't, you know, like it's not going to be like a match of the year. There just didn't quite hit that gear. But like I liked so many of the touches, the little touches they put in this match. Nigel's a guy where like a lot of wrestlers, if they repeat spots in a match, you go. Why are you doing that? That just makes you look dumb. But for Nigel, for some reason, maybe it's just the nature of his kind of his style and his gimmick, like him doing repeated spots in the same match, it always like it it just works with him. And they do a lot of neat little playing off of that. Like Nigel goes for the headstand kick three times in this match. The first time it works. The second time, Joe just murders him with a brutal kick. And the third time, Nigel drops down and kind of fools him into getting caught, Joe into getting caught in the ropes. And they do other stuff like that. Like they do, like Nigel hits the rebound lariat, but then the second time he tries it later in the match, Joe has it scouted. He does the big power slam instead. You know, they even do, you know, Joe does the Uranagi where he's in the corner and the guy runs at him. But then the second time he tries that, like, uh, Nigel has kind of an arm drag counter for it. So there's lots of, um, repeated spots, but every time the guy learns something up and is able to change it, um, but I just like the way these two match up. I like, you know, Nigel doing a lot of technical wrestling in the opening minutes. And then when he tries to throw a strike to Joe, you can see Joe just be like, fuck this. And immediately just start really taking it to like, if you want to do my kind of wrestling, we'll do it. Uh, just the way their styles interact. But mostly, and I like this, there, there's some good selling in this match, you know, where Joe gets his arm worked off of and he did little neat touches to sell it like uh grabbing you just either even little stuff like shaking out after he hit up before he hits a power bomb or even um when he does an stf to nigel he has to grab his elbow and not like his wrist because it hurts him too much but what i really liked matt we talk usually about um a lot of times i don't like the i think the pure rules they kind of they're limiting they they the matches always go a couple certain ways this was a pure title match i really liked the way it added to it because I like there, there's a key spot in this match where um, Joe uses all his rope breaks. Nigel gets Joe caught up in the ropes. He basically kind of ties his ropes, his, his legs into the ropes and what they describe as like a figure four around the ropes using his arms on Joe's legs. And to do this move, he has to stand outside the ring, which he's allowed to because Joe has used up all his uh, rope breaks. So the ropes are legal. But because of that, he's still staying outside the ring and because a pure talent match also has a count out rules, there's a count. So you get this really neat thing where like Joe is trying to hold on and not tap out. He knows he can survive. He gets to 20 and likewise, Nigel's trying to hold on to the very last second. But even though if he stays out too long, he'll get counted out. And I thought, okay, that's a cool, unique spot. You wouldn't get in a match otherwise. And that's the kind of things I wish um, more pure title matches had like unique spots like that. And I think Nigel will find some in his reign, but, uh, Overall, I like the match uh, quite a bit. It's not quite great, but I thought this was a uh, a fun match. And uh, Justin, what did you think? I thought that that was one of my five 
and perhaps final indelible memory was the clever spot of the uh, rope break versus the 20 count. Um, and it was just as fun on DVD. Um, I also like the psychology of the match uh, that you touched on of Nigel is like, I'm a little boingy man and I love to boing on the ropes. And Joe was like, if you keep boinging on them ropes, I'm going to wallop you. And he did. And it was a lesson learned. Um, really mostly just trying to talk myself out of doing a Sex Pistols style accent, which I don't think I have the entry valves <laughs> to do. Um, that's all for me. Thank you. Uh, it's my lifelong dream to learn how to do a Pittsburgh accent, Justin, just so you know. <laughs> oh, um, well, I'll work with you after the show. Thank it's, you. You, it's, you mostly move the vowels over like one of them and you talk from the back of your throat. Is the Pittsburgh right. accent the same as the Philly accent? Because as someone that's only knows the Philly accent from Philly Boy Roy on the best show <laughs> on WFMU, it like it, they sound strikingly similar. There are, sim- are, there are, there similar, are strong similarities. Strong and differences. Baltimore is in there as well. The Baltimore thing. I would just watch the Kroll Show, Pennsylvania skit. Pennsylvania, Kroll, yeah. yeah, that will teach you some of the uh, subtleties and intricacies. Um, with Pittsburgh... I can't really speak to Philadelphia enough. With Pittsburgh, it's just like, Arn, still, the vowels are all moved over a little bit. There's a, there, there, there's a great um, YouTube series that was put up, I think, by Wired um, a few months ago um, with a dialect coach talking about accents from all over um, North America. Um, I very much enjoyed it. Hmm. So, oh, Matt, the, sorry, the oh, only oh, other oh. observation I have is... is uh, in, also, going back to Brian Alvarez's drops slash memes, uh, I think one of the things he did and ran with was like, was it Lethal Lockdown maybe where, or or uh, Ultimate X, where <laughs> they have like two pages of rules and say it's really quite simple. And that's how I felt when they were explaining all the pure <laughs> title rules, which are mostly easy to follow. Um but it did remind me of, uh, like, for all my true sports heads out there, like the funny man tweeter John Boys, I guess is how his name is pronounced, who does the thing. He had, like, a fake explanation of the NFL overtime rules that make no sense that go, like, first possession per team. Which comes first? Score or possession? If coin flip is heads, elect to kick or receive. Same if tails wants possession. If a field goal is kicked on first possession, team on field must acquiesce. So that was cool. Once they get into like the whole like close fist, first you get a warning, then you lose a rope break. If you're at a rope break, you get like that. At that point, it becomes like all right. All right it is it is cool psychology if you memorize all those rules yeah. because they said in the match like so Joe has gotten his one warning. So if he accidentally punches him before Nigel extinguishes his allotted rope breaks, he would lose the title. Which changes hands on DQ just because of that. I mean, the magic of the pure title rules is it combines everything wrestling fans love most, which is <laughs> not seeing punches and bad disqualifications. <laughs> and I mean, anytime rules can bring those two things together, I mean, I think that's that, that's perfect. But uh, to, ROH's, like to ROH's credit, there were not many bad disqualifications in pure title matches. Very few, if any. Yeah, I like how I'm shooting on the pure rules, even on a match where I literally just said I, this was a match I thought the pure rules actually added to the match. But, Matt, what do you think? I, I remember of everybody who was kind of new to me uh, on the show, which, you know, like Punk wasn't, Joe w- wasn't, Loki wasn't. Um, Nigel was, and I feel like he was probably – he impressed me the most. 
um, like at the time. I just thought he had a lot of personality. I thought he had star power. I still do <laughs> think that, by the way. Um, but like he real, I remember just being really impressed with him live and really liking this match. Uh, um, Sixteen years later, I don't like the match quite as much, but I thought it was it was quite good, quite entertaining. You know, I, I also have very fond memories. I'm sure Justin and I both like talk to each other about how cool that um, you know rope. You know, rope leg hold versus the 20 count thing was um, the one thing that was psycho- psychologically kind of silly about it is it's almost like when you put a guy in a hold at the end of an Iron Man match, right? Where the guy just, where the guy pretty much knows, like, if I just wait 20 seconds, I will not have to give up. So basically, the idea is the hold has to be so incredibly painful that you cannot wait that long. And this is the move that Nigel had never done before. So I, um, so that really didn't get that over with me. But I thought the spot was cool. Um, as far as moves that he has done before, he did get that arm submission in at some point, And the crowd did not really react to it. Um, but um, And I did not recognize it as that arm submission when I first saw it in 2005. But now I know it's that arm submission. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, I... Um, I will say this also. Nigel, another guy, wasn't really totally p- playing up his newfound heeldom in this match. Like, a little bit, in that he was being kind of like, um, I don't know, like avoidant and stuff and trying to be clever. And Joe was kind of like, it was a baby face spot that Joe would stop him from being clever. But it wasn't, um, he wasn't like being an over the top heel in any way. So, like, he's still kind of slowly developing that heel persona. Um, one spot I, I did I did like that really got the crowd going was um, when Joe went for his like face wash running boot scrape, but Nigel avoided it by um, by picking up his boot, and then Nigel went for his own running boot scrape, but Joe jumped up, hit a big boot that sent Nigel to the apron, and then knocked Nigel off the apron, which sent him onto the security guard and sent them both over the guardrail. Like that was such a fun spot; the crowd oh. loved it so much. Um, I also like, you know, even though Nigel, like, so this is one of four singles matches that Joe has with Nigel in 2005. This is the second one. Yeah. And Joe has been the guy that can avoid the uh, headstand spot. And like you mentioned, Nigel was still able to get it on him two of the times, right? Still able to kick him. And like Joe succeeded in stopping it once and he actually busted Nigel's nose real bad um, with one of them. Nigel was bleeding pretty bad from the nose. Um but um, but that was like there were just like a lot of fun spots like that's that's pretty much what this match was like just it was a lot of fun stuff the guys showed their personality the execution was good um, I like that when Joe hit the muscle buster it was when Nigel was trying to do another clever spot like he was doing that whole artful dodger thing and he <laughs> jumped up on the top rope and Joe just smacked him and then got the muscle buster. Um, Notice that Nigel was so tall that like Joe had like a hard time getting his his head under his shoulder from the muscle buster, and I think they're the kind of commentary they're trying to be like uh, Nigel's fighting it, but you could tell Joe was just like Jesus Christ, <laughs> like hard to get this guy's head. Like I'm used to wrestling guys that are five foot nine. Like <laughs> that's true. Also. I'm embarrassed because Artful Dodger is such a better way to put it than me, who called him a little boingy man. <laughs> Well, the Artful Dodger is like the, a literal name for a specific sequence of spots, too. It's mm-hmm. not just like all the stuff that he did, but yeah. Okay. The whole thing where he like crawls under the leg and all this stuff, like, you know, like, but anyway. You reminded me of the bump into the security guard because I watched him at the time. 
my recollection is he stayed down for the whole match and sold like knocked out. And then when the match was over, he did kind of like an amateur sell of a guy who like goes, what happened? (laughs) Slowly gets up and shakes his head and was like, duh, who put the lights out? And then just resumed his security work. Wow, he was kind of like a a non-playable character. (laughs) (laughs) There's nothing better in wrestling than when someone like takes the opportunity to like, this is my one chance to be in pro wrestling for a second. (laughs) And they're like, I'm going to act the shit out of this. Mm -hmm. I love that. That's that's such a good story. That's why Um, if you heard me audibly gasp, it was when Matt mentioned him and I remember him. For a second, I was like, either Justin has a story or I was like, or like he's like run over his toe with a chair or something. (laughs) Or both. Did that thing where you pick a scab off on a podcast. <laughs> you know what you do during podcast picking bug bites. Yeah. Um, I believe that was Zach, the security guard, who's, you know, longtime ROH security. Of course. Well, he did a hell of a sell. <laughs> um, immediately after the match, Shane Douglas runs in. He to get showered with booze. He immediately grabs the pure title belt from the ref and he grabs the mic as well. The crowd immediately launches into chants of fuck you, Shane, and you still suck in case he forgot. Uh, Shane responds, but between the shitty sound system and how loud the crowd was jeering him, I couldn't make out much of what he said other than you can kiss my ass. Uh, the crowd, uh, the crowd chants fuck him up, Joe, fuck him up as Douglas keeps cutting a promo, but like Justin said earlier, he kind of teases that he's going to throw the belt down, but instead he puts it on Joe's shoulder. Douglas says, Ring of Honor impressed him, and Ring of Honor is the shit. We immediately <laughs> cut away from a segment, and I wrote in my notes, we immediately cut away from a segment more uncomfortable than the time my mom caught me having sex when I was 16, which... Wow, I, know. I didn't know that was canon on your podcast. <laughs> now it is, but... Uh, now, um, now everybody knows that Trevor Game actually got laid as a teenager <laughs> one time one time <laughs> man it's like a camel it's been a long time since i've been just storing it but um humped <laughs> but uh God. um yeah just everyone had to know um well when shane said that i can tell you uh, being in the crowd everyone went yes shane is on our side now that rules it's funny because like when Shane was going, you know, like, you know, before it's like, you know, Ring of Honor is, is shit. Now he's like, Ring of Honor is the shit. I thought it would have been funny if he instead played off his earlier promos. Like, you know, earlier I said Ring of Honor could lick my balls. But now after that <laughs> match, I want to lick Ring of Honor's balls and just like, just lean into it. Try and make the crowd at least like laugh. I'm having a ball. <laughs> these were the but, jokes. These were the jokes that made Trevor Dame such a sexy high schooler. God. <laughs> this is what really en- enraptured the, the, the two women that cut themselves. Said, uh, I'm going to have 4,000 Twitter followers. <laughs> 5,000 now. Holy crap. I, I wrote this on Twitter, but yeah, for people that don't know, I recently passed 5,000 Twitter followers, which I don't know why either, but I wrote this on Twitter, but for those who don't know, I thought this was funny. Just this, Coming up where, like, right after that happened and, like, Matt wrote to me and it was like, oh, you got 5,000 followers. And I also noted, Matt, I've never told you this, I know a good friend of yours was my 5,000 followers. So, and right after that, you wrote the message congratulating me. So I can only assume <laughs> you told that person to follow me so you could do your tweet instead of having to wait around for it. But anyway. I did, right not, I, that, I did not. <laughs> I swear I didn't. What, was it really oh, a friend okay, of mine who, who did it, who put you over the top? 
It was Michael Foodie was my uh, five thousand. I mean, I did mention that 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 my that my co-host was about to get five thousand followers. I did not tell him to follow you. I swear. See, okay, I believe it. I thought that was so perfect because I thought Michael Foodie's following. You. I thought, oh, that's five thousand. Then right after it was the Matt tweet. I was like, uh, I know the connection ready here. Ready to auto post. I he kind of like he he pick up artist him into following you or he subliminally influenced him into doing it, which is even more impressive. <laughs> but I thought that was so funny though, because there was this moment where it was like 5,000 followers. Matt's like, congratulations. I was like, Oh, this is a dumb internet thing. But I thought, Oh wow. It's weird that 5,000 people follow me on Twitter. And then right after that, my brother called me and was like, yeah, I'm getting engaged to be married. And I was like, oh, I've got 5,000 Twitter followers. Like I didn't, I didn't want to say, but I felt like this is like, but wait, just, wait, Wait, Jerry, before you before you uh, self-deprecate, are there more people in the world who have been engaged and married or more mm-hmm. people who have 5,000 Twitter followers? <laughs> um, <laughs> you know what, Matt? You're right. I, I truly was having the better day there than my brother. You know what um, would be cool is 5,000 Twitter followers and the whole listenership of all you great fans out there who are – so dedicated. We love you. We love the fans of Through the Years, and we are the going deep, to the link you. The Drombozos is what we call them. <laughs> well, we are going to link them all to Trevor's brother's wedding registry, and <laughs> hey, if you want to support the show, like, they could use some fresh Tupperware. And the Justin, good town. Stan Mixer. <laughs> Justin, I don't know if you know this, but you are right now on the 14th most popular wrestling podcast in Denmark, I believe. Oh my god. Hey, uh, what I never felt more podcast pressure than when you said ahead of time that we were going to do this and people started faving it. I was like, oh, no, they want to hear this. <laughs> Say good things. Yeah, I hate it when he previews the show because what if I just like start the show and I just start being like, you know what? Fuck it. I don't want to do this anymore. And then you, then then but but I've already committed. What if yeah, you did the I... Shane Douglas thing and we're like, this is a good podcast for me to poop on. <laughs> Did you know? Just, did you know that Shane Douglas actually d- did triumph the insult comic dog? <laughs> <laughs> wasn't that? Yeah. So he rattled off a list of champions, wasn't he? Like directly invoking the throw down the NWA title thing, yes. and then he saved us. Okay, good, good, good. I'm smart. So this is a crazy connection, but um, and yet another tangent. But um, uh, the I just recently listened to uh, Lenny Leonard. Just did a former Ring of Ring of Honor announcer and apparently future Ring of Honor announcer Lenny Leonard had just done a interview on a podcast that is friendly with us. That obviously that we always endorse an honorable mention, and I highly recommend that episode. It's a, it's a great episode, great interview. But because of that, I kind of got on like, oh, I wonder if he, Lenny Leonard's done any other interviews because i was kind of he was really personable and interesting to listen to talk to and he did an episode months ago on uh between the sheets the david bixon's band chris zellner podcast and he actually tells a story there where apparently he used to do takeshi morishima as triumph the insult comic dog impressions (laughs) like it was the one night when he and dave prezak were like up late doing the commentary and it was kind of loopy and apparently it just became a running joke so i can't believe when you mentioned triumph the insult comic dog it's like ring there is actually a triumph the insult comic dog ring of honor connection apparently because apparently that was like an inside joke well yeah there was i mean there's two connections because there's that and there's also that they got shane douglas who does the voice of triumph the insult comic dog to come (laughs) on this show of course, Shane Douglas's hot new show on uh, Fox. You know, great job. Um, so anyway, the the one thing to mention about this promo about this is uh, 
they apparently cut out a lot of stuff at this point because according to reading the uh, Derek Bergen live report from the Pro Wrestling Torch site, he, I'll just read his report. He wrote, as the fans were shitting on Shane, both he and Samoa Joe were doing a back and forth promo in the ring. In the funniest bit of the night, some girl in the balcony, clearly quote unquote feeling good, started screaming, ECW, ECW. Okay. The crowd got even rowdy. <laughs> exactly. But Joe calmed the situation and said, don't blame Shane that his old ring rats follow him around everywhere. Classic. <laughs> oh, Overall, yeah. <laughs> that's Derek Burton, not me. Overall, and I love the guy, but the Shane Douglas and Ring of Honor experiment was a flop. Joe was awesome here and did one of his better promos. He told Douglas that Ring of Honor has up-and-comers saving your business. Ring of Honor has men that were rejected by your business. Emphasis on your and in in here, we settle things by shaking hands like men. So, yeah, to, if you watch the DVD, the entire Joe thing is cut out. Basically, all you see at this point is Shane comes in, he gives um, Joe the belt, he says Ring of Honor is the shit, and, like, they immediately cut away. And that could partly have been tying restraints, or that also might have probably have just been them trying to cut their losses with the Shane Douglas Yeah, thing. it was both. I, 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 that all came back to me now that you said it, but, like... Um, yeah, I mean, I think there was no reason to put that on the DVD. It was for the best. I mean, yeah. it probably would have been better if none of that was on the DVD, but hey, what are you going to do? Yeah, because I mean, um, could have cut the whole thing out, honestly. Yeah, and then just given more time to Azriel, um celebrating after he won. <laughs> and the DVD goes to a full 3.00, but they had time for the, like, news reports about the show. Right, right. Uh, <laughs> But yes, and that stirred my memory because I, I think what me and Matt talked about at the time is like, oh, it would have gotten such a like gigantic pop if Samoa Joe had choked out Shane Douglas. But then like you'd have to negotiate in between the two angles. Like, so no one likes you, and it would rule if they <laughs> made you look stupid. So instead of being the cool guy who endorses us, can we beat you up? And I'm sure that would have gone over very smoothly. <laughs> So next we go to another clip from the WB11 segment that aired weeks earlier. This from, we can see in the corner, from 5.22 in the morning. <laughs> it's still dark out, and Aries is in the ring with Asriel and Prince Nana when a plainclothes low-key just jumps in the ring, shoves Julie Chang, and gets in Aries' face. And at this point, Julie Chang asks, who's this guy? <laughs> I told you, she's Art Donovan. Yeah. Key tells Aries he's in his backyard. It comes Saturday. He won't be the top dog in the yard. He then pie faces Aries and Aries takes him down. So it's interesting because this was actually to build up the last New York show, but presented the way they set things up, it actually works also to set up the match we're about to see, which is the main event. So, which, um, so. Oh, Matt, go on. Well, I wonder if there's ever been an angle in the history of wrestling that was shot that early local time <laughs> like 5 30 in the morning before like right before like before the sun comes up i also like because the clips like if i remember correctly like this was you know one of those like good morning american style type morning shows and apparently they were doing like one ring of honor segment per hour for like the entirety of the morning show and clearly this segment came before all the other ones we yeah, saw it was earlier like the first one yeah but it was also this was the segment that was like shooting an angle that was supposed to like get people to go to the show and they did they chose 522 in the morning for for that for that angle like the one <laughs> Loki like, must have been like one, yeah must Loki must have been like yeah you know what I'm busy after after 6 a.m. <laughs> 
like Julie Chang wrestling um, Lacey and hugging them. That was in the prime time morning slot. The low key angle was like you'd have to be like getting ready to coming home from a night shift to have seen it. Like, well, look, um, you know what I think? I think it was a damn shoot. And Loki is not a <laughs> worker. He's a fighter. And he went into business for himself on the news. <laughs> and that brings us to the non-sanctioned, non-title main event. Loki defeated Austin Aries via pinfall in 21 minutes, 59 seconds after he hit a top rope key crusher. Uh, the Rottweiler posse, they had a big entourage for the show like they often do on New York shows. Like I said earlier, I didn't recognize all the names, but Derek Bergen, who was there live, his report said the Rottweilers included a masked, deranged Asriel and B-Boy. So I didn't recognize, you know, didn't realize deranged Asriel, who are, I don't think, in can- at least in Ring of Honor canon, were part of the Rottweilers, pulling double duty here. And B-Boy there, who, that, that's a cool little cameo. But um, Matt... Big, you know, main event, second time these two have wrestled in Ring of Honor, but also kind of a controversial booking decision, maybe having the world champ lose in a result that never really has a payoff. But uh, what did you think? Yeah, I mean, in in looking back in 16 years later, the result feels like kind of like who cares, right? Like that does, does, didn't affect anything, right? Um, yeah. At the time, yeah, I could imagine it being like, what what the hell are you doing? Um, um but um yeah this was a match um to determine who thinks that covid is the fakest and <laughs> <laughs> low key one um but um now this um what was um i made i made a joke to, before their last the last match that they reviewed which was in december of 2004 that it was actually a mask versus mask match but the winner had to put on a mask <laughs> um, um but um yeah, so the thing about this is this is supposed to be like this big main event angle, but the thing that they just showed, you know, with Loki um coming up to Aries on the morning show, that was the only thing they did to lead up to this match, right? Like yeah. there was nothing else that would that precipitated this. There was so there wasn't this big feud and and it didn't lead to a Generation X versus Rottweiler's feud either. Like it was yeah, really it, just like a one and done thing. It was it's very weird actually. Yeah. Um, that they made this the main event, but so I could imagine someone watching this match and being like, oh, Austin Aries, low-key, you know, they were really great at that time. This match was kind of disappointing. But I actually don't feel that way because I remember feeling this match was kind of boring and, like, plotting and slow. And watching it back now, I really liked it. So I, I actually think my l- bad memories of the match made me enjoy the match more in retrospect. Um like I, I thought it was it was good. It was like very good. I um you know like the the you know the execution was good. Um so um it's it but it so it was funny that first of all Loki when he came out like he had, like you said he had the Rottweilers crew with him except any of the members of the Rottweilers that we know or care about other than Julius Smokes. <laughs> like yeah. like Homicide wasn't there, the Havana Pitbulls weren't there, but like all of the other henchmen and some guys in masks um they were there. And because of that, when Ares walked to the ring, like he was not being his usual, like determined self. He seemed very tentative, and Ares was definitely the babyface in this match. Like, and which is another weird thing because Loki was in his home turf and probably more popular, but he was. But still, Ares played the face, um, even though he had been a heel pretty much in every other ROH match up until now. Um, so I As guess observed about 
Rod Strong, though, right? He, like yeah. Punk was nice to him, and so this Matt this might show be something. This show was their face turn, but like they didn't do anything. They just suddenly started acting like faces, I guess. Um, but you know, so like like Loki does jump Ares before the bell, um, and um, you know, uh, at one point. Um, Early in the match, um, I guess all the other henchmen go to the back, and Smokes tries to trip Ares as he's running the ropes, and Sinclair yells at him to leave ringside. Um, like, what is this AEW telling the manager <laughs> to leave ringside? Um, but, um, but now you know, at that point, it's just one on one, so they they have their match, and it's funny because they they mention that Ares has a neck injury, but one of the big early spots is that Loki is trying to put Ares' shoulders to the mat, and Ares just like bridges up with his neck. Like re- really impressively, and it's like if your neck is hurt even a little, there's no way you can do that, um, right? Like that's just like extra, like super strong neck. Um, so I guess the neck injury is not really a factor after all. Um, but you know, Loki does a lot of his kicks and his chops, and he makes Loki faces. And um, you know, Ares goes for a frog splash, and Loki gets his knees up. Um, meanwhile, CM Punk on commentary makes Dave Prezak just crack up when he says that he had Roderick Strong tapping like his name was Gregory Hines. <laughs> okay, that's in my notes. <laughs> but just like, the funniest part was just how much that made Dave Prezak laugh. Um, oh. um, Maybe the only Gregory Hines reference in wrestling history. It, was, it caught me off guard. I think that's almost what maybe what got Prezak laughing was like, did you just reference Gregory Hines? <laughs> yeah, I bet you it wasn't the only one though. But probably the only one in like the two thousands. Um, <laughs> um, but so like at one point, Ares goes for that heat-seeking missile dive, and Loki kicks him really hard. Um, and you know, whenever Loki is on top, the match really like slows down a lot, which was pretty typical in the lo- the heel Loki matches we've seen. Um, but despite the slow pace, you know, Loki is just hitting and kicking so hard, like with like with everything. And he does seem to be targeting the neck with the kicks and the suplexes. And at one point, he's kidding so hard that he even, like, smacks Todd Sinclair hard in the arm when he tries to admonish him. And a few times during the match, um, Sinclair is, like, counting him as he chokes. And remember, this is a non-sanctioned match, so the crowd just yells at him. Um, like, every time Sinclair tries to count, they go, he goes, the crowd goes, or, like, two people in the crowd, actually, are like, It's non-sanctioned! There are no rules. And like in like, four years we're gonna chant Twinkies at you. That's right. Um, um but like it was just funny because like I wanted to write that in my notes, like why is he counting? But these two jerks in the crowd did it for me. Um, <laughs> um but you know, like Loki hits all of his double stomps and the crowd goes crazy. No one double stomps like him. Like at one point, Ares tries to go for the crucifix bomb. Loki blocks it, so Ares goes for a sunset flip. Loki just breaks that up and just like stomps really hard on his chest. Um, and um, like, and I noted this in my notes at this point. I was like, I think when when we were there live, Justin. We both pretty much assumed that Ares had just been a babyface, right? Like, because he was pretty much just a face in this match. And, like, watching it, he I, wasn't. He wasn't until this show. I didn't know no better. Yeah. Um, this man was beating him up, and his neck hurt. But what what he what gets the crowd to more on Ares' side is that Loki kicks him, and Ares stands up and just dares him to keep coming at him, and the crowd starts to appreciate that. Like, uh, Loki tries to go for a kick, uh... Uh, Ares grabs it, hits the shinbreaker suplex combo. The crowd loves that. And someone actually yells at Ares. I don't know if anyone else noticed this. 
You're winning now. Keep it up. (laughs) (laughs) Was it you, Justin? Um, That was me. I was like, punch him, punch him, bounce him off the ropes, give him a back body drop. (laughs) That's right. Where it's going. Um, and so, so, so Aries, I thought did a pretty good job of keeping up with, um, with Loki's hard strikes. Like he, he did, he did some pretty stiff ones too. Um, he does start selling the neck though. He does a bridging German, but his neck won't allow him to hold the bridge. And he goes for a twisting press from the apron, but Loki gets his feet straight up and blocks it and follows up with that springboard back kick. Um, and he hits a really brutal one. And Punk mentions that this is the move that legit knocked out Dan Moff. And Ares goes all the way to the floor. Like, it was a – just like all of Loki's strikes were just unbelievable, I thought. Um, and there's a long delay, and Loki gets a two-count off that. Um, uh, Loki goes for another top rope double stomp, but Ares moves. But Loki just follows it up with, like, this really brutal running dropkick into the corner. Um then Loki goes for a key crusher. Ares avoids that, turns it into a brain buster. And Punk at this point is just like talking about his match next week, which makes sense from Punk's point of view. But I do think it detracted from the match a little bit that like things were getting more intense and Punk was talking about himself. Yeah. Um, uh, but Ares gets uh, Loki in the Tree of Woe and does his own Tree of Woe double stomp. And, you know, I was praising Ares' strikes, but. This was not nearly as good as Loki's Tree of Woe double stomp. But the crowd pops pretty big anyway, and the kickout gets a big pop. Um, Loki follows that up with like a really big capo kick that sends Ares into the turnbuckle. But Ares comes back and punts Loki in the head. Goes up for the 450, so Loki just like kicks Todd Sinclair into the ropes. Knocks Ares off uh, onto the turnbuckle. Loki follows him up. There's a bit of a struggle, but Loki wears him out with a bunch of kicks to the head, then hits a top rope key crusher, which, you know, he hasn't done that very many times in ROH. I think the last time he did it was maybe, what, against Jody Fleisch? Um, And he hits it, and he beats Ares. And the only real complaint I have, because like I said, it doesn't really matter now, is that he really waits a long time to cover him. Yeah. And it's like if you're gonna pin him, like just pin him. Like don't don't add the insult to the injury. Um, but as far as the match, like it was better than I remembered, honestly. Like I, because I, again, like if you were just look at this on paper, you might say this match wasn't as good as you would think. But compared to my memory, Loki's strikes were just brutal. Aries, you know, like has so far rarely gotten to seem more honorable and like plucky. Uh, like I said, it was almost like a face turn just through his spirit. It was slow, so, you know, like, maybe it wasn't the style of match, you know, you would necessarily want, given that it was non-sanctioned and stuff, but, you know, I maybe would have gone with something shorter, faster, and more violent, but still, it was well-worked. I thought it was very good. Uh, Justin, what did you think? Yes. Um, well, I so, part of the reason I'm on the show for this episode is the Walt Disney Company wants me to promote Loki's Disney Plus series, which does start on <laughs> Wednesday, oh, June 8th. Oh no. um, Just, um, Justin, don't say anything that's going to get us beat up. I live in Brooklyn. Um, oh, yeah. Well, no. I mean, Loki is the star of the show. He's doing all kinds of crazy stuff, and you fans won't believe it. Um, right. I... I at the time, was tired at the end of this show, and in my re-watch 16 years later, I was tired. I watched a whole three hours of wrestling for you guys, broken up into uh, four safe increments of 45 minutes. Um, 
I had already seen Punk's match. I had already seen Joe versus Nigel. This was non-title. Um, so the stuff they did was good, but the same feeling of, uh, um, I guess, anti-climax was there for both. Um, and I mostly came on the show so you would explain to me why Loki won. And I've been waiting 16 years to understand, and I still really don't. So, um, first off, I'll, I'll, I, I, well, first off, I don't know, but I'll try and reason it out in my head. But first I'll say about the match itself, I thought this was a very good match. Again, I don't think anything on this show was great, but I think there was a lot of matches that were like three and three quarter or three and a half stars. I think this would be another that's close. Um, it, 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 I pretty much, Matt, you, I think you laid it out really well. Uh, there's a lot of really stiff work. There's some really beautiful moves. I think this is a match where you could make a really great highlight video of it. Like, if you just showed the best spots from this, it would look like one of the greatest matches of the year. When you when you watch the whole match, obviously it's not at that level, but stuff like, you know, Ares doing the headstand to get out, I mean, low-key doing the headstand to get out of, a like, an arm ring or something, and, and Ares drop-kicking him as he's doing the headstand, or some of the hard kicks, the, the top rope key crusher. I mean, there's the, the best, the biggest spots in this match are incredible, uh, you know, when um, Ares is doing the neck bridge and Loki's just hitting them with knees as they do a knuckle lock in the bridge. I mean, all that stuff's really cool. Um, I thought it was funny where uh, early on, you know, Key is working over uh, Ares' midsection and the commentary says, you know, why isn't they, why isn't he going after, uh, you know, Ares' neck? Because that's his pre-existing injury from other matches. And it's almost like Loki heard them because right <laughs> after that he switches to neck work. So it was like, huh, that's a weird coincidence. Um, but yeah, like, like most, like a lot of, I mean, there's been some great Ares world title matches when he won from Joe, the, the Colt Cage match. But I would say so many of his, the pattern I'm getting from his reign is so many of his matches are like this. They're like three and three quarter where he works really hard. There's just a little something that's hard for me to define that isn't there, but still really good match. But what I will say to me, the story of this match is that booking. It's, uh, I don't get it. I don't get. Because like you mentioned, Matt, there was no feud with the Rottweilers going into it. There's no feud with the Rottweilers coming out of it. The Loki and Ares never wrestled each other again. So I thought, why do this match? And so this is what I tried to figure out. I thought, okay, on one hand, Ares and Loki had wrestled once before Ares won the title the year before. And they went to a draw. So you could say, okay, there's unfinished business there. And you could also say from a booking standpoint, Loki was a guy who by this point had already had history of possibly agreeing to do jobs and then changing his mind or not wanting to do jobs. So you could kind of see Gabe being in, in the, I, I have no idea if this is the case or not, but you could see Gabe being in like this situation of Loki is a super talented wrestler. He's a big name on the Indies and he has a big part of our history. And so I want to book him in matches and I want to book him in big matches that will sell DVDs and tickets, but I also don't trust that he will lose matches. So I have to do things like this. But at the same time, I felt like this is maybe the one match you don't book then. And maybe, maybe they just felt like they needed a big match for this show. And this was a match on paper that, you know, it's an intriguing match, but there is no, it is crazy that there is, you know, it's the world champion losing. I would say fairly clean. Like, yes, Loki does shove, kick the ref into the ropes, which when, Aries is going for the 450 late in the match, and that allows Key to get the win. But even then, Key doesn't immediately get the win. He, like, f- fights back and forth with Aries on the top rope for a while, so it makes Aries look more like he just lost a battle. And then, like you said, Matt, 
after he hits the top row of Key Crusher, Key waits for a while to make a cover, and normally I would like that because it sells how impactful and devastating that move is on both guys. But like you said, it again, kind of makes Ares look like a, you know, Ares does look kind of like he just loses clean for the most part. And he does. He loses clean. All, like that's a this is a clean loss. Like there's no, there's no doubt about it. And also another thing is normally, you know, a lot of times in indie wrestling, and I d- often don't like it, where you can tell the guy that's going to lose, I mean, the guy who's going to win, because he gives most of the offense in the match to the guy who's going to lose, because he figures, well, I'm going to win, so you can have most of the match. That makes wrestling really predictable. But this one, the opposite, where I felt like he had like 60 or 70% of the offense on the world champ, and then he beats the champ clean. And never gets a rematch. Like, I felt like it, this is the one of those rare times where if Aries was going to lose, he should have gotten most of the match. And I, said, I think he gets, like, the minority part of them. He gets maybe, like, a third of the offense of this match. And the whole thing, it's just kind of bizarre, and it's a weird note in the booking. But I don't know why, you know, Key went over clean. I don't know why it led to nothing. I don't know why. But that's the match. That's the end of the match point of the show. But... Um, right after the match, Homicide steps in the ring to check on Loki. He grabs the mic and he asks what Ring of Honor is going to do when their champ has a broken neck. And what are they going to do when they do something that's banned? And, of course, <laughs> that that's him teasing that they're setting up. Uh, Loki then sets up Ares for the double-stomp cop-killer combo that they injured Jay Lethal with. No, no. So, so hold on a second. So Punk thought he said he was doing something that was banned. But I don't remember them ever saying that move was banned. And I think what he actually said, and I thought this at the time too, was that he said, we're going to, because he says, what are you going to do, Ring of Honor, when you don't, when your champion has a broken neck? We're going to do something that's bad for the business. That's what I thought hmm. he said. But anyway, that's a small point. But Maybe. Anyway, I, I think that's a more clever out. line anyway. Honestly, I was, I was kind of, I, I was hard to make out, so I was kind of going by uh, the commentary. Yeah, right. Punk, but Punk, you Punk, be right. Said, Punk said he said that it was banned. You're right. Yeah, but you you could be right too because it was hard to make out. Um, so anyway, he uh, and Loki set up Ares for the double stomp cop killer that they injured Jay Lethal with. But Roderick Strong and Jack Evans they run in, they fight him off. Monster Mac and the other unknown Rottweilers try to run in, but Evans holds them off. He takes out with a crazy double moonsault to the floor. A double moonsault uh, is even more impressive in my opinion when it's not off the top of a cage. Yeah, less room, and he's doing instead of like on firm footing, he's doing it off a you know a ring rope and. Jay Lethal runs in and he dragon suplexes low key and then runs out of the ring and into the crowd as Homicide chases after him. So that's that's your big final in ring segment for the show. And so again, but, like Jack Evans doing like a big baby face spot at the end, like like I think it's it just seems it just it's it's it seems that they're baby faces. It just doesn't make sense how they became baby faces. I guess Generation Next I'm talking about. But yeah, they did make it seem here like they were going to do stuff with the Rottweilers and Generation Next, and they, yeah. they really don't. Homicide and Jack Evans do have a match against each other on the October New York City show, so I guess you could say they were trying to like book from this. But that match just sort of felt like a random match and not like part of any yeah. bigger story. We uh, I think. Oh, um, sorry. Well, it, it oh, should no set up Loki for a, a natural title shot for the belt that Austin Aries will lose in a week. <laughs> um, so, and the the one thing that certainly was not evident to me in 2005 but i guess kind of i see through the story on this dvd is that they're telling this thing where aries's neck is getting hurt and he gets throttled in this match and punk is talking on commentary about um he like his neck got all messed up from a slice bread number two 
And so Punk is going to go into a match, and he's a guy who does a move where you crank on a guy's neck. So you're kind of doing the thing where, like, they say the champion is getting worn down, like when Bret Hart or John Moxley is about to lose the belt yeah. to give him a reason. But like that usually doesn't entail them dropping a clean non-title match on the way to actually <laughs> yeah. losing again. Yeah. So we uh, we cut to Colt Cabana backstage. He says he loves pro wrestling. He loves pure wrestling. He loves everything. He says when Nigel isn't kicking people in the balls and hitting them in the head, he's a great wrestler. But he did not win the pure title tonight. Colt says when he gets in the ring with Samoa Joe, it's going to be a fun time, and he calls Joe Mr. Meanie Pants. <laughs> Colt, <laughs> Colt then Holy says... Holy shit. <laughs> Colt says he can bring it. He's a wrestler first and foremost. He ends by asking, who has two thumbs and loves the pure championship? It's him. And of Does course, not he say this guy. Yeah. He left this guy dangling. He blows his spot. But uh, <laughs> next, uh, meanwhile, Michael Gary, I mean, Gary Michael Capetta was, has found Austin Aries backstage. Aries is not in the mood for talking, but Gary wants to know how his neck is. He wants to scoop. Uh, Aries says, obviously, it's still here and it ain't broken because he's still walking, so it's just fine. Gary asks about his next opponent, CM Punk. Aries says, no matter what Punk does, the belt's staying around his waist. So just very brief promo to set up that. And then finally, to end the DVD. We cut to Dunn and Marcos, and they're taking down the ring, as they said they would. They are the Ring Crew Express, after all. Marcos says they're right here, right where they said they'd be, but they don't see the car crew anywhere. And then one of the most hilarious moments on the DVD, <laughs> after, the, after the Ring Crew Express said we don't see the car crew anywhere, the camera does a 180, and we see the car crew is drinking at a bar that is no, probably no more than 15 feet away from them. <laughs> and, and, and Dunn and Marcos then see, finally, the car crew. They charge towards as DeVito keeps saying, you're serious? You're serious. And then they have a brawl out of the building. And that is how the DVD ends. And Matt was right because that bar proves that Ring of Honor is cheers. <laughs> That's, right. That's right. They were sitting there at the bar waiting for Vera to drag them so, home. That brings us to the end of uh, The Future Is Now. Uh, Justin, as the guest, what did you think about revisiting it and uh, was this worth three hours of your Saturday night? Um, the, the recording the podcast was great. Three hours of a rewatch was a big ask for me to watch any wrestling, but I got it done for you guys. You gave me a whole lot of advanced time, and I did it, and I watched it. I enjoyed it because um, I, I remember this experience a lot more than the show three years prior I did, and I think the company is more exciting and I think a little getting bigger and have more uh, compelling things going on in 2005 than in 2002. So yeah, I, I've never revisited in those 16 years. So as a fun endeavor, that was cool. Um, I had fun at the time with my friend and one of us said, I'm going to make this a really important hobby to me going forward. And another one of us <laughs> said, that was cool. Bye. Um, but you know, if, if, Ring of Honor was on TNT every Wednesday night. I'm sure coming out of the show, I would have probably watched it, but I don't know because I was, I don't know, I'm kind of elitist about indie wrestling and those dregs, but um, I also thought not just Punk, but Joe and these people were cool and good. Uh, but yeah, I, I have no regrets, guys. I have one more thing in my notes. Is this funny? People in wrestling probably haven't heard of Gregory Hines, because he's more well-known as Hurricane Hines. (laughs) (laughs) 
Also, also known as Shane Hines. Yeah. <laughs> also, I would just say, uh, Justin, much like the macaroni salad, I think you've made the the right choice not getting into Ring of Honor because uh, <laughs> I've wasted my life. So uh, I could have been a third uh, co-host if I just committed at that point in time, but our absolutely. lives diverged. And uh, the DVD did not include, weirdly, the part where Matt and I got up and left. And I was like, well, <laughs> that's what I remember happening then. No, mac- no macaroni salad mid-DVD. Yeah. <laughs> we did not ride back to the ferry with uh, P. Diddy or whatever cool guy was at the show. And uh, so that's where my experience kind of did not line up with my... my uh, learned memory we did watch one night stand that night and like when everyone was like this is the most special thing that ever happened we were <laughs> like that land storm chris jericho match got no time it got no time benoit eddie under delivered uh ray psychosis was not even two and a half stars what, what? Wasn't the Benny? I mean, I said Benny. Wasn't the Benoit? You know, his friends call him Benny. But uh, wasn't wasn't the Benoit Eddie Guerrero match the match where like they were basically almost like having a like a legit argument during mm-hmm. the match, like which became even more uncomfortable in the future. Yes, Eddie had uh, just turned heel and was getting this uh, like big push as a heel, so he tapped out clean to the guy who hadn't really been doing a whole lot since he <laughs> dropped the title. But I, I think part of that was like. This is not WWE, so crazy stuff can happen. Lance Storm will beat Chris Jericho, etc. But yeah. Yes, Matt and I, um, oh, I don't want to, uh, yeah, we just, we were surprised at the gushing feedback after the show. But, but. You and me are probably right. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, but but I, but I, I was like, I think the moment that turned me was Tanaka against um, Mike Awesome, which, like a match we're about to talk about, is extremely uncomfortable in retrospect. And um, and suicide then suicide died, and I hope he takes his own life. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! Did did he say that? I forget. Yes. Oh dear. <laughs> oh god. Um, that's uncomfortable for that reason and many others. Um, and then the whole the RVD promo, and then the main event. Like I think by then I sort of started to get it, but like. Yeah, I think I had to watch it back to really be like, okay, this is really what made it so special for everybody. Because um, mm-hmm. I was like waiting for all these great matches. Um, Me too. What a couple of nerdlingers. Yep. Yeah, yeah we sure. suck. Um, <laughs> so speaking of a show that didn't have a great match, I would say about the future is now. Matt, it's kind of similar to when we covered Manhattan Ma'am, where uh, the, it's a New York show. I think the crowd's really good. I think everything is at least good on this show, but nothing is quite great. Although I I know on Manhattan, ma'am, you disagree about nothing being quite great. But I would say this is a show where I I would give. I think the the floor is even a little bit higher than Manhattan, ma'am, and I you'll probably disagree with that. I think everything on the show I would give at least I would give at least three stars to, but I would probably give nothing higher than three and three quarter. It's that kind of show where, and it doesn't quite have, you know, you'll never repeat the atmosphere of the first Manhattan Mayhem show, but you know, it is kind of a cool vibe with, you know, knowing a bunch of those fans were probably really excited to go home and watch Manhattan. I mean, I'm go home and watch one night stand and or go, or go, or go, or go to watch or go go to exactly. And all the rest, other wrestling that happened that weekend and the vibe, even of knowing that punk is probably leaving soon and all that. stuff. I thought it was, I really think this is a really consistent fun show. There's some good variety too, especially like you get your crazy scramble, you get your hardcore match, you get a little bit of comedy and then you get your quote unquote serious 
wrestling matches at the end, you get a really memorable, if not uncomfortable segment with Shane Douglas. I mean, I, I like the show quite a bit. What do you think? Yeah, I definitely don't think it's as good as you. Like, I wouldn't put it in the same universe as Manhattan Mayhem. Um, I, I didn't like the you know the, the early matches as much as you, and um, you know, I, although except, not, except for the the six man mayhem, I thought that was really good. Um, but um, yeah, I thought that you know all like all the work was was pretty good and well done, but I thought the show just felt a little dry to me. Um, like the only real like angle progression was Jay Lethal coming back. Um, yeah. Otherwise it felt like much more like a B show to me, even though the matchups themselves, like the, like the pairings were big pairings like homicide and Gibson and Aries and Loki. I didn't feel like they were worked like they were big matches, you know? Um, so it just, it felt like kind of a, um, kind of a B show, like an uneventful show with solid wrestling. Like this was, a show that got me interested in ROH, but it did not get me hooked. Like, I think what got me hooked is that right after the show, I was more interested. And so I decided to, then I read the Meltzer, um, praise of Manhattan mayhem. And I think Gabe like hyped up the DVD, right? When I think I was coming out like either right at this point or like a week or later. And I got that. And like watching that is what like, Oh my God, I have to go to all these ROH shows. And then I went to the next New York show a month later. And then I was, I was off to the races, but, um, I thought this show was, was, was good, but I did not think that it was, was that good, I guess is what I would say, but, but a worthwhile experience and certainly a very important experience in my, um, I guess in my life when you think about it, cause I'm doing this <laughs> podcast now, weird to say, but yeah. So Matt, um, we we have one last thing to do before the, we do our goodbyes and plugs and all that, which is just uh, we uh, speaking of things that you said earlier, you know, promising things and then having to go through with them. We uh, I, I said we were going to review our first match ever that is not Ring of Honor on through the years because you had uh, suggested a couple weeks ago that we for the show cover a specific match. And uh, that match is uh, well, do you want to talk about why you wanted to do this and uh well, what the matches? Yeah, uh, so I, you know, Justin, don't get mad at me. Um, but I knew that Samoa Joe and Necro Butcher, which is one of the most famous non-ROH indie matches ever, happened the day before the show. It's like it was crazy to me that Samoa Joe had this match and then went on to just have like a pure title match with Nigel McGuinness the next day. But he did, and I was like, this match is going to fuck with Justin's head so bad. Oh no! Um, but he did not watch it, um, which is okay. I mean. This is a. I didn't refuse. I forgot. We um, yeah, like this. We gave Justin a lot of homework, so it is. Yeah. it is not bad of him that he didn't watch it. But it is fair to say that my um, that you know my approach to it is a little different, knowing that. But like um, yeah, I mean, what that's what that's what gave me the impetus to uh, to uh, um, to talk about this match. Um, but you know, n- you know, the uh, the match itself, it was just it was a really big deal. But I don't. But I actually am not sure at the time if it's more of a big deal in retrospect because I don't remember hearing about the match beforehand. Not that I was a big, you know, indie follower, and I'm not sure how much I actually heard about the match until maybe months later when it started circulating around the internet. Like Trevor, was this match something that like was a big deal in your mind before it happened? Uh, somewhat. So I guess for the background for your people that don't really think know why this match was such a big deal is. I feel like in this for me was like one of the last matches ever where like worlds collided because nowadays with like 
mass media, like the globalization of media and everything, where everyone watches everything from all over the world, you know, and wrestlers stylistically, they're more like homogenized than ever. They're more well-rounded than ever. And back when we were growing up, Matt and Justin, like we were, you know, you would see like just crazy things like when like Fit Finley wrestled some random luchador on a WCW show in like 1996. It felt like different worlds and you would see styles you've never seen before. And wrestling doesn't have that anymore. And I feel like the appeal of Necro Butcher and Samoa Joe was Samoa Joe obviously was like the work rate indie name, him or maybe Punker Danielson, but probably Joe. I mean, the guy and Necro was the deathmatch guy. He was like considered to be like the craziest deathmatch guy in terms of like the punishment he'd take, but also like the deathmatch guy that like the Death Valley driver guys would like, you know, because he had great punches and some psychology and, and just he was kind of like the the smart he beloved. If there was one deathmatch guy you loved, it would be Necro Butcher. So it was like a world's collide from that. It was also like two guys both known for being really tough in wrestling, but for completely different reasons. So, Matt, what I would say is like there was buzz, but probably more among like the Death Valley driver people. And then I think it got like a second wider range of buzz in the months afterwards when the tapes circulated. People watched and were like, holy shit, this is like fucking crazy. And maybe even then a third level of buzz you have to think because you have to think – Necro, I think, basically probably got, like, like this match is very influential in the sense of, after this match, like, the idea of booking, like, a big deathmatch guy against a big, just, like, indie ROH-style superstar became much, like, a more common trope, and Necro Butcher, just against serious wrestlers, became, like, you know, he ended up having a career in places like Ring of Honor, and then even you would look at a guy like Nick Gage, and I think Nick Gage, in a lot of ways, is very different from Necro Butcher, but, like, Necro, Nick Gage is kind of walking the path that Necro Butcher started here, which is the kind of like the guy who does the crazy death matches, but also is like the kind of the one death match guy the regular indie fan also likes and will watch him in straight up matches and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, this match put Necro on my radar. Like, I didn't follow death match wrestling at all and wasn't like an IWA Mid South viewer. Like, this was the first Necro Butcher match I ever saw. And it just freaking blew my mind. Like, um, should I get into it? Like, what, like the play-by-play and stuff? Like, yeah. The, 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 I guess the only other background I can I can offer is um, I watched some shoot interview stuff with Necro, and Necro apparently had like no sleep. He had just was coming back from Japan from Big Japan, and for people watching this match, keep in mind this was a double shot where um. For this weekend, on this day, this was the day before the future is now, IWA Mid-South and CZW jointly rented out uh, ECW Arena, and they ran one show after the other there on the same night, and Necro Butcher, like, worked another hardcore, like, tag match against Nick Gage and somebody else, like, right after this, you know, on the next show, and uh, the, I guess the other background I'll give before I finally get to you, Matt, because I actually did some research on this, because I can't not do research, apparently, but, um, is... Like, I don't know how much of this is real, but, like, Joe Necro claims in, in shoot interviews that Ian had wanted to book this match months earlier, and Joe did not want to wrestle Necro Butcher. He just I, – I, he didn't want to wrestle Necro Butcher. And then there was a match where I, I believe it was Necro Butcher and Madman Pondo versus two Ring of Honor students in Chicago, or it might have been IWA Mid-South. And the ne- Joe and some people thought that uh, – Necro and Pondo took liberties with the ROH students. And it was at that point 
that Joe decided, you know what, I do want to fucking wrestle this guy, apparently. And um, uh, apparently, like, um, yeah, like, like I, I sent you an MP3 I, I found on old DVDR I had of, like, uh, or DVDR, just of, of, of a Joe promo from an IW Mid-South show building up this match where I have never seen Joe, heard Joe sound that angry, where he is just talking about Joe, I mean, Necro taking advantage of these kit, of these students and how the Necro butcher, he's just screaming, he's fucking, like, at one point the fans start applauding Joe, and he's like, no, like, sh- shut up, let me finish, even though he's not a heel, because he just has to tell these fans, like, I am going to fucking kill this guy, I legit do not like this guy, and I guess that leads to the match, match. Now, how much of that do you believe? Just honest question. Because, I mean, um, it, is, it is wrestling, you know? Like, they're going to say this is real to make get it over, right? I think he's probably playing up some of it. I, I think it's probably, like, a lot of things in wrestling, he took a legit thing and then amplified it for the sake of pro wrestling. I mean, Necro says after the match, like, they shook hands but didn't really talk or anything. So, and the other interesting thing, Matt, that I noticed, Necro says that he called this entire match. He said, like, when when Joe had offense, he didn't tell Joe, like, what to do necessarily. But, like, in terms of the structure of the match and when, you know, which guy got to let up and all that stuff, he said, and, like, the story of the match at the end and all that, like, Necro says it was all me who did that. So, Big feather in his cap, I would say. Yeah, I mean, if if again, if that's if that's true. Um, yes, if it's true. Right. Um, but um, as far as the um, as far as the match, all right. So Justin, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna play this out for you. Um, okay. Now, first of all, if any if there's actually somebody who listens to this show regularly who has not seen this match, it's on YouTube. Easy to easy to find um, the full match. In fact. The YouTube video includes the match twice from different camera angles the second time. Um, that's how uh, that's how much effort IWA put into this. Um, but um, the commentators are Dave Prezak, CM Punk, Eddie Kingston, and the commentary is extremely different from ROH commentary. Like this is the only really intense, hard-hitting, brutal, hate-filled brawl I've ever seen, where the commentary is the cra- is the announcers just like having a ball, like, laughing and going nuts at all the moves, right? Like, they're not, like, trying to get over any hatred or anything like that. They're just like, what the hell is happening here, right? And, like, laughing a lot. But I don't think it detracts from the match. Do you, Trevor? No. This is the epitome of uh, the IWA Mid-South kind of, like, feels like a friend on your couch commentary. Like, just reacting with you. Like, yeah, they're, like, laughing and, like, it adds to the match. Like, it's not like like Dusty Rhodes laughing at, you know, the cruiserweights. You know what I mean? Um, Yeah. So just with that in mind, um, so Bryce Ramsberg's the referee. Um, so Joe and Necro, they go toe-to-toe, and they both shove Remsburg, and then Joe just chucks him out of the ring, and they start forearming each other in the face. The crowd just, at this point, is on their feet, and they do not sit down at all for this entire match. Um, Joe hits a sudden enzigiri in the middle of the forearm exchange, then hits the tope suicida, um, goes outside, he starts kicking Necro, who's in a chair in the crowd, and then Necro just stands up and starts headbutting him. And at this point, Punk makes his first Rob Naylor reference, saying that Rob Naylor is go- probably going ape shit right now. Um, and these headbutts, I believe, have busted Necro open hard way. Um, I don't think he ever blades, do you? No, and in fact, he said also on the shoot that he had an existing really bad cut from the Big Japan show. So he was like, I knew early if I just you know touched it. I'd start bleeding. Yeah, so he's so he bleeds a lot hard way. Um, 
Then Necro just chucks chairs at Joe in the crowd, and and the crowd just tries to like stand out of the way. Um, and Necro then he starts charging at Joe in the crowd, and Joe does his snap power slam, but instead of getting him, you know, spinning him over onto his back, he Necro just lands on his forehead, like. Power slam position, but think the guy doesn't get over. He just lands on the top of his forehead. And, I, I mean, I've seen this match a hundred times. I still can't figure out if this was intentional. I guess it was. Like, it wasn't yeah, a botch. even says, like, how can a guy take a power slam on his forehead? But that is what happens. Yeah. <laughs> like, and the thing that made me crazy is, like, the announcing in, RO, in, in IWA was done live. It wasn't, like, post-production. Uh, and yet none of the announcers seem worried. You know, like they're just like, <laughs> like there wasn't like like the Eddie Kingston just like what the fuck that's awesome. You know, like it's just like, like the like their colleague had just been like spiked on his head on concrete, um, but yeah, he's gushing blood continuously. Joe doesn't seem worried either. He chucks more chairs at Necro's head. Does the ole ole kick? I think this is the only time I've ever seen the ole ole kick done in the crowd, um, but he does it. Um, he's just bleeding, falling all over the place. Um, Joe now puts him in the ring and gets the first near fall as the crowd starts their dueling chance. And Punk mentions Rob Naylor again and then goes, I'm name dropping Rob Naylor for the love of Christ, um, <laughs> which is um, one of the all time great commentary lines. And Eddie Kingston's just like, yeah, he's um, Rob Naylor is in the crowd somewhere. Um, then Necro comes back with a running Yakuza kick. And then he just decides to take an entire section of the guardrail from the aisleway and just throw it at Samoa Joe and then again throws it on top of him. And then he hits a senton, which he, which he tries to land on the guardrail on top of Joe, but he just like completely misses the guardrail, but that's okay. Um, then Necro starts punching Joe on the apron. So Joe goes for an exploder off the apron, but again – so again – Think about this: uh, an exploder, right? You you take a guy from, you know, from oh, you pick, you hold him over his shoulder, the other from, um, from under his leg, like a, like a T-bone suplex, right? If you don't know this move, Justin, um, and you're supposed to take the guy, flip them over onto their back, but Joe does it from the apron onto the concrete floor, and again, instead of going over, Necro lands on his forehead, and. Prezak and no, so Kingston says, "Holy shit!" Prezak one ups him and goes, "Holy fuck!" <laughs> um, and so Necro is bleeding completely like nuts. Joe throws more chairs at him. They go back in the ring. Joe takes the guardrail and bridges it along the middle rope in the corner. Then Joe power bombs Necro on the propped up guardrail. Tries to pin him with one foot. Necro kicks out. Um, Kingston and then Prezak they could they ask Punk they say. Um, okay, so what would you do here? Um, like, 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 what's your strategy at this point? And Punk goes, I would sign a contract with WWE and run far, <laughs> far away. <laughs> and so, um, so at that point, um, uh, Punk also mentions that he's gonna get a car and run Necro over. And if Necro kicks out, Punk's just gonna drive into the ocean. Um, <laughs> Joe then German suplexes Necro on an open chair, gets another two count. Necro starts just fighting back with punches, and Joe covers up, and then he just wails on him with the palm strikes and the knee strikes and knocks him down, tells the ref to count, 
like a like a for a knockout. Necro starts to stand up, so Joe just punts him in the head one more time, and Remsburgs keeps counting him out, and Necro can't answer the ten count, so Joe wins by knockout. And yeah, the crowd's going insane. Every time I watch this match, I go insane because it's just. It's brutal. I, I, I'm not sure if I'm a bad person for enjoying this at this point. Um, just like, you know, knowing everything about concussions and, and you know, even just Necro himself, you know, like what's, you know, he's not like he was, not like he's still wrestling and stuff like that. Um, Necro's just destroyed. Um, but like, it's one of the most entertaining matches you could ever watch if you can handle how brutal it is. Like it's so fast paced and constant and everything has meaning and it's just, there's never a not exciting moment and the crowd's going nuts. And I would say, you know, even though Necro was destroyed, I would say this match in some ways kind of made his career for a few years. Absolutely. Yeah. Like I, like I'm not sure if he ever has ROH. I'm not sure if he ever does the wrestler, um, it also, I think, adds a lot to Samoa Joe's legacy. Like, Samoa Joe had some, what I would consider, and a lot of people consider five-star matches in 2005, right? The uh, the Kobashi match, obviously, the uh, three-way in TNA, some of the other TNA matches, but this is one of them. Like, this is, like, one of, like, just the, the fact that he can do this and do all that, and, like, I don't know, this was why 2005 was just, like, Samoa Joe's year, you know? And I think this is the first of those really incredible Joe matches that, you know, are unforgettable. Um, after the match, Necro pops up and punches Joe. And actually, Joe, like, runs away from him. And that is how the segment ends. <laughs> Necro claims in the shoot, again, this is just Necro, that there should there was supposed to be, like, a larger, like, pull apart between them two. But after the punch, Joe just ran to the back. Like, he's... And we, we should mention, there is a rematch to this. Like, they do have a rematch. It's a completely different kind of match that I still, it's not as good. I think it's still very, it's still really good. But uh, they do in uh, 2006, there is a rematch. But um, uh, so I would say this match is fantastic. Um, would you, like, would you yeah. say, would you say it's a five star match just given its historical importance? Yeah. I think so. I, th- I think it's just the craziest spectacle. It's like an unforgettable match. It's you know it's under ten minutes, but it's it's it to me this is like the wrestling equivalent of King Kong versus Godzilla. It's like they're just two different kinds of monsters from different worlds just destroying each other. You know I forgot like I always thought of it as just Joe squashing Necro, but Necro gets a good amount of offense. Although yes, by the end Joe is just destroying him, but. Um, just so brutal, and I, I love the, you know, it's not really a huge story, but I like the idea of, like, every time, like, if you keep watching, for me, if there's a th- story to the match, it's like, Necro keeps dragging Joe into Necro's world, and then ne- Joe, like, out Necro's Necro. Like, when they go into the chairs and stuff, you know, eventually, by the end, Joe is throwing chairs at Necro, or, like, you know... Also, or like the guardrail, you know, Necro brings in the guardrail, but at the end of the day, the biggest guardrail spot is Joe doing something to Necro. You know, it's like everything Necro tries that's like his specialty, Joe ends up, you know, using against him in a, in a bigger way. And it's just such a brutal, memorable match. And yeah, this is a, a, a super important match, I would say. For Necro Butcher especially, obviously, I feel like this match, you know, like he get. You know, he was already a big deathmatch star. He was working, you know, like IW Mid-South, CZW, Big Japan. But, like, after this match, he became the guy that would get booked anywhere on the indies against anybody. You know, he was no longer just having to be in the deathmatch world. And I also think, like, 
you know, the trend in the indies, you know, of what happens if we put a big deathmatch guy against a big, like, just work rate indie guy that started with this match. So it was influential in that sense too. And again, I don't think I wouldn't say Nick Gage owes his career to Necro Butch or anything like that. But again, I would say, like I said before, he's walking a path that kind of Necro started here, you know, that kind of how you could kind of be more than a deathmatch guy. And a couple just little quick things. Um, I would say here's a, there's a punch Necro throws and they showed on the replays when they're on the apron to Joe and he hits Joe so hard, flush in the side of the head. It is a punch. I like if I had gotten hit in that hard for in a wrestling match, I would be like angry. Like it is a, just a brutal, legit punch in the head. And also Matt, you did a great job recapping, recapping the match. I don't have much to say because you did such a great job and we've already gone so long, but I will say for a funny moment, again, this is a match you can watch free legally. IWA Mid-South uploaded it to YouTube, so you should absolutely watch it if you've never seen it. But early if, on – If when you can they, handle the brutality for the – Yes, rest. if you can handle it. Yeah, it's very bloody, very brutal. But um, early on when they go into the crowd, there's a security guard that tries to like – work the you know in the when they're involving the crowd and i can only describe it as necro butcher traveled from the present <laughs> to watch himself wrestle <laughs> because he looks like necro butcher today like the long white beard he's yeah. skinnier i know what you're talking about yeah punk. yeah he looks it, it looks stunningly like necro butcher is watching necro butcher wrestle like if someone told me if like robert stack came on to tell me that this is an unsolved mystery and no one ever saw that security guard again i would be like that was the fucking necro butcher in a time machine because it it, it, it made me burst out laughing watching it today in, in uh 2021 but uh yeah unbelievable match and it is crazy that match you know happened you know, the day after, you know, Hardcore Homecoming, the day before ECW One Night Stand and before, uh, you know, the, the future is now. And I will say this one last thing and then we'll go to the plugs. But um, I think something we've talked about before, a theme so far with 2005 Ring of Honor has been like there's been a few great matches, but it's been a year where like. I think the overall standard of quality is the highest it's ever been, but like maybe compared to some of 2004, the top end matches aren't as plentiful. But would you say like Necro Butcher versus Joe, I would say is easily better than anything we've seen in Ring of Honor so far in 2005? Oh, yeah. I mean, like I said, it's a five star yeah. match. Like it's a, yeah. one, of, one of the all time legendary indie matches. So, yes. Um, but we got the second half of 2005 coming, and I feel like. Some of that might change. Um, yeah, exactly. I'm not saying that yeah, would end up yeah. being our match of the year if this was in Ring of Honor, but up to this point, it was clearly, which is kind of crazy because, you know, Necro Butcher was not well regarded by a lot of people at this point, And, you know, Ring of Honor was the, but Joe and Necro had a match I think is better than anything Joe has done in Ring of Honor this year, anything Ring of Honor had done so far this year, but... Yeah, we'll, we'll yeah. see if that changes soon. But Justin, have we, have we made you want to watch this match? <laughs> You made me feel bad that I didn't watch it. You made it sound well, like a midnight movie. That's what really mattered. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's like we don't care if you enjoy it in the future, just as long as you feel bad. <laughs> I'm but, really sorry. I actually I watched the wrong match because Matt said it was on YouTube. What did you <laughs> did you actually watch a match of, of, of the wrong match? I well, I just put it in and it came up and I got confused. I watched Necro Butcher versus um, Randy the Ram Robinson. <laughs> <laughs> My review sure. of that 
is some of the staple spots made me uncomfortable. Um, they're doing glass, they're doing barbed wire, and I did not, like, I wouldn't recommend it to you guys. If you haven't seen it, I guess seek it out, but, like, <laughs> Randy honestly looked unhealthy in the match, and, oh, there's fire, legit fireworks going on outside, wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, he was sweating in what seemed like a kind of a less than healthy way uh he seemed like he had like chest pains maybe and <laughs> i didn't like it uh at the end of the clip they advertise a randy versus the ayatollah match and i had no interest <laughs> no interest in seeing that after watching this because i didn't like it i think he needs maybe more of a guy like joe to kind of like take his style and blend it with a strong kind of wrestling whereas randy is just kind of like a stunt show thing and you really don't have a fun experience watching him do those spots so sorry again so um, Um, what's your your star rating Justin? i would go two and three quarter because like this is still randy the ram he's a, a pro and his facials were good um, and but a lot of quick cuts in the match. It yeah. seemed like parts of it were ellipsed in a weird way, like Kevin Dunn kind of cut to yeah. this, cut to this, cut to this. WWE then, influenced. Do you guys think it's weird that Chris Chris Jericho was so mad that Mickey Rourke wouldn't wrestle him that he decided to become <laughs> him? <laughs> yep, yep. He decided. <laughs> but again, that was just to make him more intimidating in Japan. <laughs> So, um, Justin, obviously, thank you. I mean, I never laugh as much as when you are on a podcast in front of a microphone, and I am also in front of a microphone. Uh-huh. And thank you so much. And um, obviously, I plugged a lot of the shows you've been on up top, but you plug, obviously, here, anything you want people to listen to or your Twitter or read or anything. What, what, what do you have to plug? Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Well, yeah, I, it was a joy to be with my dearest friends since 1999 sounds right to me so we were young teens like we were snot-nosed punks that's why now if there's like people being weird about like wrestling culture war or AEW stuff i'm like oh well i'm very old when i (laughs) when i was posting on the internet if someone was as old as me i'd be like you don't count you're so weird and old. So I'm just like, have your fun. Be weird. This is so weird. Why Why is this your life? Um, but <laughs> carry on. And um, But thanks again. And uh, I, I, I did try and hold my own. And to people who really just want to hear about Ring of Honor, I am I'm sorry if I took it away. Um, but I did go to the show. That's truth fact. Um, <laughs> those are my insights. Justin. In terms of, yeah. You're apologizing makes you fit right in on this show. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Just remember, me and Matt are kindred spirits and the nicest boys who wouldn't even take money for our ticket scalping. Probably because we were scared it was a crime. Because <laughs> it's crime. Um, plugs. Okay, so a lot on this show. We have talked about Samoa Joe taking on all comers across the globe. He fought a guy from the UK. He fought someone from, I guess, like the backwoods or the necro realm <laughs> the um, necro realm <laughs> uh so if you like joe's who versed the world i was on a uh the joe versus the world anniversario show we made sure to wait just long enough to do a show again to where the people who asked us when we would be doing another one stopped asking us <laughs> um <laughs> but 
uh, you two, as far as a pair of co-hosts who do historical retrospectives that are very detailed and informative, really put us to shame as far as consistency. Um, but and, people we're extreme, were... and we're extremely inconsistent. <laughs> yeah, in in this realm, we're considered to be lazy. So. <laughs> Um, well, you are an inspiration and we, we got it together one more time for all the nice people who were, I, in all sincerity, extremely nice. Um, and you can find that on the cubsfan.com website, Joe versus the world covering Q4 of 1997 WWF, uh, McMahon circus in Stanford. And, and also Touching on the top of the show, yes, I've been a guest on the Elite Beat podcast, where I'm almost as far out of my comfort zone as I am talking about Ring of Honor, but they bring me on to do my clown shtick uh, that is hosted by, uh, well, really three co-hosts, but the person with the Twitter, his name is Andy Napier at NapDaddy33, and it's called the Elite Beat, and it's on Spotify and wherever RSS feeds are served. Um, those are my two most recent things. And look, um, Trevor's brother is getting married. He is registered. Um, you can find that in the show oh, links. No. And if you oh, don't want to no. buy anything off the registry, I'm sure they'd love to have flowers sent to the wedding oh, no. or just donations to their favorite charities. So blessings and felicitations to them. And may God bless you all with peace, tranquility, and goodwill. And by the way, fun fact, I, I um, I don't think Trevor even knows this yet, but I'm actually going to be the singer at the wedding. Yes! Oh, thank God. I'm mostly going to sing ROH-related parody songs in honor of you. Your brother signed off on it. Well, now I feel bad that I'm not going to his wedding. <laughs> yeah, I so, mean, uh, I mean it's, it's like I'll be there in your, in your stead. Thank you. Thank you for being my proxy, Matt. Um, All of you want parody contact- songs are about food as well, so that's going fun. <laughs> Do you have anything about wedding cake? Hmm. I don't know. I did find the other day I wrote a parody song when I was younger of I'm on a boat, but parody <laughs> Which to... Which is already a parody. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all about floats, like ice cream floats. I had that saved somewhere on a DVD. Do you know or... there is a, a, sorry, there is a parody of that parody, uh, and it's extremely niche. Someone, some <laughs> idiot, who is not, super, is not me, like, telling a sideways story this is real uh in 2009 uh july i guess someone wrote a parody of wrote recorded and uploaded to youtube with a video it's a parody of i'm on a boat and it's called i won the cup and it is a song about the pittsburgh penguins who won the stanley cup in 2009 and it's like i won the cup and i'm skating fast and uh er, I'm, (laughs) i'm the boss of the league on the cutting checks from shiro if you're on the wings then you're sure not mio and it's very <laughs> good <laughs> if you, oh you you really sell it good if uh, you're if you're like extremely uh specifically know the players of the 2009 pittsburgh penguins so. <laughs> but yours sounds actually good you should expand on it so um if anyone wants to get in contact with Matt and I, which I don't know if you would after some of the things we've said this episode, uh, through the years at gmail.com is our email, T H R O H for through, at Trevor Dame on Twitter, at Mayor MGF on Twitter. And uh, we have a thread on the Pro Wrestling Only Plugs thread that no one posts in, but that's fine. Um, so next time on the show, Matt and I will be starting a crazy new chapter because. 
the summer starts late June officially, and we will be starting the summer of punk. It will be the summer of the summer of punk because the next time we will be covering Death Before Dishonor Three, Punk versus Austin Aries, Punk's final match in Ring of Honor, wink wink, plus Jay Lethal versus Loki, plus lots of other stuff, and it will also be episode sixty nine. So it will literally be the <laughs> summer of sixty nine. Um. So which it, which, it is, which Trevor experienced as young as sixteen. Hey, <laughs> That part was 70. Anyway, God. moving on. Episode <laughs> you have to 69 is really going to turn things upside down. Yeah. <laughs> you have to save some things. Um, uh, <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, until next time, have a good time. Have a great time.